Okay, welcome back. Thank you to Jonathan James and Corpse Club, and thank you to the Misfits. Thank you to everyone who has recorded the dedication today. If I haven't called you out by name, I'm very, very sorry. Uh, dialing in Heather right now, and um, there she is. Hi, Heather. Hello. Hello. Turn down your radio. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. Can you hear me okay? I can. Wonderful. We always have technical problems. So I'm so glad it's live I'm relieved, today. I'm relieved Amazing. that it didn't happen when we were live. Um, Heather, for those of you unfamiliar with Heather, and let's be honest, there's no one unfamiliar with Heather. Heather Wixon is a top critic and author of the book Monster Squad, available at Amazon.com, as well as the uh, managing editor of DailyDead.com, as well as my horror BFF. I am going into hour nine of this broadcast, Heather. So, uh, I'm leaving so you need all to do the some heavy, heavy lifting. lifting to you, please. <laughs> Excellent. No, I, I, first of all, like the fact that you've been doing this all day, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I know people have said it before and we're probably going to all chant this for like the next week, but you're a fucking hero. And I can say that I can Scott Drebbit this piece up because we don't have to edit ourselves. So seriously, what you've been doing is amazing. It's incredible. Um, and I don't think I would, I would listen to anybody else do something like this. So I really think what you've done is something special and it's awesome. And you're the best Patrick Bromley. You're very nice to say that. I of course will deflect to all of the guests who have really made today special and have shared their time and their memories and their ideas and their reactions. And it's just been uh, very, very cool. You know, today would have been a sad day and this has been a nice distraction because instead of being sad about Toby Hooper being gone, we're instead celebrating it, uh, his life and his work. Um, you and I are going to talk about poltergeist. I, I would have been so hurt if you would have had anybody else talk about poltergeist, I'll be totally honest. <laughs> like, here's the thing. Like, and you know me. Like, I there's two Hobie, Toby Hooper films that mean the world to me. Uh, and the other one isn't Texas Chainsaw, surprisingly. That one I kind of came into later. Um, and I was like, man, if I do this and I don't get to talk about either one of these, I'm going to be, I'll be fine. I'll be okay because it's Toby and it's awesome. But I'm going to be a little bit of sadness, like, in, in my voice because I, I just, I love Poltergeist and I love Salem's Lot. So I'm really excited that I get to uh, talk about the former. Me too. Um, what is it... Uh why Poltergeist? I know earlier you had tweeted out, uh, I saw, because I'm trying to keep up with some stuff, a link to a piece that you had written about how much Poltergeist means to you and why. But uh, for those who haven't yet had the chance to click the link and read the piece, can you maybe just talk about your relationship to this movie? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's the first Toby Hooper movie I saw. Uh, I saw this before I saw Salem's Lot. Um, I, I think it's because it was PG. Uh, it didn't really get much of a second glance when, when it was, we rented it, I think in like 83, cause I was five when I saw it the first time. Um, cause I had a really crazy mom who was like, yeah, let's just let her watch whatever. Um, and I think for me, because I was a kid who grew up an only child with a single mom, um, I always idealized what the American family was. It was the mom and dad with the two kids, some, in this case, three kids, um, you know, with the dog and the house and, you know, the beautiful community and, you know, your success at work and you're building a pool and all this cool stuff, which by the way, was the same summer that my uncle Dan decided to build a pool mm -hmm. when I saw this movie. And I was like, no, that's, yeah. but his was above ground. Um, and so for above me, ground it pools was can still be haunted. 
Okay, I don't know for a fact. I haven't seen the science on that, but um, I'm, I'm going to take your word for it. So I think for me, like, I just always saw the Freelings as this family I always wanted to be a part of. And I guess maybe because, you know, I'm a creature of habit and you yell at me all the time because I watch a lot of the same stuff um, over and over again. But, like, it's not an over-exaggeration to see that, say that I've seen this movie probably well over 100 times, maybe closer to 200. Because, it, you know, as Oh, yeah. I mean, as like a kid, like I'd always like, you know, we'd watch a lot of the same stuff like on the weekends and Poltergeist was one of the tapes we had. Um, and I just I fell in love with it. And I didn't know Texas Chainsaw Toby at that point. I didn't know any of these other films, you know, that obviously would come after this. Um, so for me, like this for me has always been the quintessential Toby, um, because as you said in like uh, other conversations you've had today, he took something that starts out so idyllic. Um, and so perfect and just turns it into a, an utter nightmare. Uh, and I think what I think that makes Poltergeist stand out beyond some of the other films that he's done is that in the end, this family comes through it. And we don't always get that. Right. Um, you know, in a lot of the movies, you know, everybody's pretty, you know, fucked up at the end. And these people have really, they are, um, but they're all together and they're all still there. And there's that bond still. Um, worse for wear, they're still a family. And I, there was just something really special about that and that you didn't really see in horror movies uh, at that time. And, I, you know, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of controversy over Poltergeist as a whole, um, but I feel like today and moving forward, like, I don't want to ever want to hear the the BS over who directed or who didn't direct. Uh, Toby Hooper directed the movie, and if you can't under see the you know now there's an adult, and I've gone back and watched these other movies and see those parallels, like I, there's nothing I can do for you. Um, but I think for me, this is my quintessential Toby. It's a good one. Uh, I have a very special surprise for you as we were talking. Uh, joining me live in the studio, Adam. Did, did you dig up a but? Oh my goodness! I was gonna say, did you dig up some corpses and like throw them in my pool in, in my building? <laughs> I might so I go as swimming well be later. A corpse from your building, <laughs> <laughs> he just popped out of the pool water and scared me to death. Um, hmm. It's so funny because as I rewatched the movie this week, um, last week I was trying to think of like what are some examples of things in horror that we misremember and that we've now attributed as being a fact. And I th- I want to say. It was Nolan McBride. Somebody chimed in and said, like, well, what about uh, the the cemetery in Poltergeist being, like, an ancient Native American burial ground? I was like, ooh, good call, because everyone says, oh, the house is built on a Native American burial ground, and that's why they're experiencing this thing. I, as I was rewatching I, the movie, I mean, James Karen literally says, like, it's not as if it's a Native American burial yeah. ground. Yeah. I don't know. I've How never understood. start? I don't know because like I it's I I've never I've never thought that a day in my life I just you know you moved you know you moved the headstones but you didn't move right. the bodies like it it never dawned on me or to even think that this was about Native American I mean maybe it's because of what Poltergeist two leans into a little bit with sort of the Native American tropes and that I that think people so. get it confused yeah. um, but no I never you know I never made that distinction I just watched it yesterday and I thought it was a Native American burial <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I don't know what's in the air. <laughs> Throwing off the curve, Risky. I, what curve? I, <laughs> I just thought, like, I, it was assumed. <laughs> it was assumed, I guess. I don't know. Well, you know what they say when you assume. No, I don't. Okay. Native American ghosts come back and haunt you. 
It happens. Exactly. Um, that explains the shining. They assumed. <laughs> I'm glad. I do hope, you know, I know that like it's a uh, kind of a bubble of people that are tuning in today. Um, and listening, and a lot of people are probably already Toby Hooper fans. Why else would they be listening? Who maybe don't need to be persuaded about the poltergeist controversy. But I am glad to hear from more than one person just sort of breaking down. Like, yeah, Spielberg was involved. Of course, he was a writer and a producer, and uh, an aggressive producer. And so, yes, of course, there are things in this movie that remind you of a Spielberg movie. But, um. I just I hope that this bullshit narrative goes away, and I wish it had happened while he was still alive. Um, yeah, it, it, that's what makes me sad too. Is because one, like seeing something like this, which I know we're doing it posthumously, but like just knowing that, like I, I just wish Toby had known. Yeah, because I don't feel like he knew. And he was always very humble because I remember I saw him. There was a Texas Chainsaw event when they did the the new version and they screened it at the Vista. And I'm trying to remember if it was William Friedkin it who was did. Was William? Oh God! I keep forgetting that you were at that. And I, I can't was. Why I was, we are oh, oh God! I know. Why don't you hate me more? Um, and it just everything about like people being there. Like he was surprised. Yeah. Um, and he was still very gracious about it all. And I he would all often like undercut his own contributions and to me like you know i mean i do the same thing but it's in a but i'm no fucking toby hooper obviously um but you know i just i don't think he was a guy who was ever comfortable being in the spotlight he wanted to be behind the camera mm-hmm. and i think he loved the work but i don't think he loved everything that came with it um and i don't think he was ever able to really see how much people appreciated him um as as a storyteller like we all love Texas Chainsaw because it's a badass movie, but we're all here today because we love Toby. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We're not all just here because we love one movie. We're here because we love the man. And I don't think he ever really got a full sense of that. And that's what makes it sad for me. And sometimes, you know, it makes it hard to go back and watch some of these movies because you just you can see you know, like the the genius just brimming there and he just never probably got, you know, I obviously in the time that, you know, these films came out over his career, like never got the accolades for them. And of course, you know, in the horror genre, everything is hindsight. You know, it takes us 10, sometimes 20 years to catch up to a movie. Um, and that's kind of a bummer. So, you know, if you, I guess, if you take away anything from this today, anybody who's listening, if there's a movie that comes out now and you fucking love it, you tell that person and you tell as many people as you can because you know what? Like in 20 years, they may not be here. And I think us as fans, we, we should be able to celebrate the things that we love so much and not be shamed for calling it overhyping anything. Yeah. So there, there's my political stance on fandom. I like it. Listen, the, the Heather Wixon fan police hour starts now. You, d- you didn't know top critic slash sassy <laughs> horror uh, fandom patrol was showing up today, did you? I sensed. Um, that's one of the things that I think is so unique and cool about Poltergeist in Toby Hooper's filmography is, you know, one of the things I've been saying is that a lot of these movies, it took some years for people to kind of catch up to them. Um, whereas Poltergeist was very much part of the zeitgeist immediately. And this is, you know, him at his most commercial. Some of that again is the Spielberg brand, but A, this movie doesn't exist. Uh, Not to keep talking about this Spielberg thing. The movie doesn't exist without Toby Hooper because Spielberg wanted to make a movie about aliens. He met with Toby Hooper. Let's do something uh, sort of a spiritual sequel to Close Encounters, only it was going to be 
a lot darker. Um, it was like Night Skies, I think was the name of it. And it was going to be this like kind of uh, Dark Skies. Dark Skies. Sorry. Um, yeah. Can I, can I, can I butt in real quick yeah, on Dark Skies? I have a fun tidbit. So Rick mm-hmm. Baker actually did all the kinds of crazy makeups for these aliens. Um, because, you know, Spielberg wanted to kind of push back on this idea of E.T. that he had just done. Uh, and I think on Rick Baker's website, there should be, well, no, but they did like, he, he had the idea for Dark Skies while he was coming up right, with E.T. Right, right. And so, uh, I, I think if Rick's site is still out there, you should be able to find drawings of these aliens, which are a complete antithesis of what Carlo Rimbaldi would do with E.T. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it was like. And I know that was then he wanted to turn that, you know, that was supposed to be like Poltergeist. And then Toby and Spielberg came together and said, let's do something a little more supernatural. Yeah, it was it was Toby Hooper who was like wanting to do something about ghosts instead. And that's kind of what leads to Poltergeist. Um, I don't you know, I don't think the movie is as successful or as, um, you know, kind of captures the public consciousness as much. If not for as much of Toby Hooper as as is in that movie, um, again, people give Spielberg a lot of the credit. That's fine. I get it. He was a brand, but like, what makes that movie such an experience? And and this movie that so many of us point to, especially of a certain generation, and being like, that movie fucked me up as a kid, was Toby Hooper's unwillingness to sand off the edges, even though he's making this PG, you know, quote unquote, family. Steven Spielberg movie it's like oh yeah but also uh this guy's gonna peel his face off in the mirror (laughs) like that was one of those moments we did an episode recently on kinder trauma you know moments in movies that fucked us up as kids and I completely forgot to talk about oh the face scene in Poltergeist and what night I didn't want to eat red I didn't want to eat red meat for like weeks after that because I was so horrified and I was I I would don't even think I'd think I even stayed away from mirrors because I was just like no nothing nothing good about that explains my look as does mine. And your aversion to watching mirrors. <laughs> oh, there it goes. Full circle. You know, I honestly, I think when you talk about why Poltergeist it has become this movie um, where it, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't know anybody who's a horror fan who hasn't felt the resonance of that movie. Uh, and there is a real emotional resonance, and that really comes from the cast, and it comes from Stephen and Diane, um, you know, Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams. Like, and you can just tell. Like, I, I, let me back up for a second. The thing that I love about this is so many times when you come into horror movies and it's about a family, there's already some conflict, right? That you got to have that dramatic conflict. I don't know why, but you do. Uh, and in Poltergeist, it's not there. They are the happy family. They love each other. They're there for each other. Even through all their weird quirks like, you know, feeding dogs waffles or, you know, kids watching TV too close to the, you know, up too close to their faces and stuff like that. Like, they're still a unit. Um, And I think, again, that's why it makes it so special is because you didn't come in there and, you know, Steve and Diane are already, like, at each other's throats because, you know, this or that. Like... It's just a normal day, and it could be any of us. And I think that's why it got to people's subconsciouses the way that it did, you know, of any age, because it could be any of us. Right. We could be sitting in the safety of our houses, and this could come for us, and what do you do? When you're thrown into chaos like this, how do you how do you react to it? Um, you know, and I think that's what makes it so relatable, and I think that's why, you know, and it was a very successful movie when it came out, despite the fact that, if I'm remembering correctly, it came out like the week after E.T., which dominated that summer. 
Um, you know, and so like the fact that it just is able to pull you in. I mean, you know, I haven't seen the remake, but there's a reason most people don't talk about the remake and they still talk about Poltergeist because of those characters, because of those actors, and because Toby just let these people do what they do best. In the remake, they're mildly concerned their daughter's missing. <laughs> oh, mildly concerned? Wow, there you also, go. Also, Sam Rockwell just lost his job, and how did he, why did he spend so much money on a drone? That was a part of that movie. Yes, because then they have to fly wow. the drone into the further later in the movie because it was three No, days. they do not. I'm telling they you, do they not. do. They put a camera. They go <sighs> into the other side, you know. Uh, they don't call it the further. I don't remember if they call it the other side. But... They call it the even further. <laughs> and they put a camera on their drone that he bought and they fly it in there because it was a 3D movie and we had to do that cool 3D shit. I saw the Poltergeist remake the day it opened and I don't remember it. Like, it's not – I don't even remember that it exists. I have to remind myself, oh, yeah, they remade Poltergeist um, because it registers so little in my memory. Yeah, you know, I mean, in this job, like – I don't often get to pick and choose like movies that I do have to watch or don't have to watch, but there's times where I can sidestep them and I sidestepped the Poltergeist remake <laughs> because I just had no interest uh, and it doesn't feel like I missed anything except some cool drone shit. So it's, it's not even like the worst movie, you know, like the performances are good and Sam Rockwell and Rosemary DeWitt, like they're good actors, whatever. But, but I guess it just never answers the question of like, why should this exist? Because we have a perfectly good Poltergeist already uh, that this movie adds nothing to. Yeah. And I think also too, you know, because obviously out of necessity and I know that they were able to do some stuff with the visual effects, but a lot of the stuff that becomes sort of these memorable moments from the original Poltergeist, you know, were all done in camera and they were all, you know, most of that stuff was done practically. Uh, obviously not, you know, the stuff with the giant ghost at the at the end and certain, like, floating things. Um, but, like, the trick with the chairs and, you know, moving Carol Ann across the kitchen floor and, and that kind of stuff. Like, it was it was movie magic. Um, and maybe that's part of what maybe the remake was missing. Again, I can't say I didn't see it, but um, knowing where the industry is these days in terms of their thoughts versus, you know, with digital versus practical, I'm going to guess they probably leaned in a little bit towards the digital. Well, and there's so much that's cool about Poltergeist. Not only like, okay, you're not going to a haunted house. The ghost is coming to you. You have your perfect little suburban idyllic family that you think is safe. And yet, okay, this ghost is coming to you. And it's coming in through all those things that you have um, put value on, right? The TV and the swimming pool and all of our signs of American 80s success are now all doorways for terror to get through to you. Um that ghosts were angry as opposed to just like, Ooh, I'm haunting you <laughs> that they were like, I'm going to fucking, I really, you. by the way, I really hope you, you replay this later so I can take that snippet and make that make, my ringtone on my make phone. It your ringtone so that your phone is always haunting you. Um, yes, but also that, um, and I'm sure somebody listening is going to point out like, well, what about this movie? What about this movie? But I think about a lot of like ghost movies pre, poltergeist and you know the appeal of the ghost movie you go back to robert wise's the haunting or whatever um is like you don't really see much right the door opens closes maybe you see the spirit of some past loved one occasionally like ghost story will show you something fucked up for a second and not craig wasson falling out the window and i know you wanted to mention it um 
but that poltergeist is willing to be like, here they are and they're scary as fuck. And they're like way worse than you could have imagined when you sort of let your, you kind of allow yourself to believe you're not going to see something. And that's when it hits you with it. I just love that aspect of the movie. Well, and also you don't really know the game that they're playing because at the beginning you're like, oh, ghosts are in our house. Okay, this is kind of cool, you know. And then Caroline goes missing, and you know Robbie gets eaten by a tree, eaten by a tree, yeah. and all kinds of craziness. Uh, but then it's like, then it's like the weird stuff with like all the like you know baubles and bits and jewelry and stuff falling from the ceiling. Like what was what was the ghost trying to say in that moment? You know, was it these people, you know, throwing their own possessions, you know, through this, you know, little opening? It's it's a really interesting way to handle ghosts because you don't quite know, you don't know their their game plan here. Right. And I think that's, again, something that's very different about Poltergeist versus a lot of other movies, like where you're, you know, in most cases, people are, you know, traveling to some weird remote haunted place, you know, in search of ghosts. Um, you know, and those ghosts don't take kindly to visitors where this is like, you just don't know what's going to happen next. And I think, again, that's the beauty of it because they were able to just throw so many different things at you, but they all work and they all fit that mythology and it all feels cohesive and it feels like it's, you know, it really, it just feels like something totally unexpected. Uh, and I think, again, that's what sort of the sequel gets wrong. Um, is that one, it sort of retcons some of its own story, you know, from the from the original Poltergeist. And then it's just, there's no mystery to it. It's just all bad. I haven't watched, I watched the sequel when Scream Factory put it out, and I haven't, I'm not super familiar with it. So, I mean, I remember certain images and stuff. I mean, it's just, unfortunately, it's the kind of movie that doesn't demand a sequel really and i know you know it made money so of course it's going to get a, a sequel but um there's so many just small character beats that i love every time i rewatch it i'm so delighted at the sequence where joe beth williams instead of being terrified that something weird is happening in the house is like amused by it and wants to show oh she's ecstatic right, exactly we just she's don't ever we don't see that in movies ever really where they're just like look at this this is nuts isn't this cool um, yeah, and again, it's it's still that sort of false sense of security, you know, as Hooper's playing with you as a viewer. Like, we already know weird stuff's happening because of what happens with the TV people the night before, and obviously the dog staring at the wall. And when animals start acting up, that's when you know shit's wrong, and you just need to leave. And I don't know why people haven't realized that yet, but if my dog starts, like, barking at the ceiling, I'm out. Um, so it's, it's just a fun little game that where it's like, oh, well, this could be kind of cool and different and let's see, maybe it's kind of like Casper. And then you're like, oh dear God, it's nothing like Casper. These people are taking our children and basically now taking over our house. Adam Risky just perked up at the mere mention of Casper. I oh, have you're a, such, I have a Casper you're tattoo. such a 90s kid. <laughs> I such am a 90s, 90s kid. kid. Yeah. I know it's That's, adorable. Oh. Uh, He's all about that Devin Sawa. <laughs> uh, for anyone who... me, Devin, <laughs> I say to the ether, <laughs> even further, bring me Devin Sawa. Um, early on in this broadcast, I don't remember when, uh, I was talking about this idea of Toby Hooper sort of tearing up the contract that we have with the audience, you know, as a filmmaker we think we're going to get this. And then he kind of says, no, you're not. Um, and, and poltergeist is very interesting in that regard because, because of that collaborative element with Spielberg, where 
it's almost kind of a push-pull situation where you feel like the Spielberg stuff is really trying to establish a contract. And then as soon as he turns around, like Toby Hooper runs in and yanks the rug out from under him because any other movie would end. There's a, there's a logical end point for Poltergeist. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's when they're moving and they're leaving and everything is good. Right. And then Toby's like, hell no. And like we're, we're, we are not done. The movie. Yeah. It's just, uh, Caroline comes back. Oh, this house is clean. Awesome. One more scene and credits. We've been through a thing. The family is back together. There's still another act of this movie. And again, I just, I love his ability in every movie to say like, what is the craziest place I can take this to? And let's go there. Yeah. And I think aliens before aliens. Yeah. Right. I always thought of it as starting with James Cameron's movie and then, yeah, when I'm watching Poltergeist yesterday, I forgot all about the adi- the second climax. <laughs> the last and 20 I, minutes. Yeah, it's and it's great because it just ratchets up what was at a 10 to a 12. And that's all that yeah. stuff is where the movie really yeah. goes for broke. Yeah. Um, I love, there's a moment, you know, uh, I have been talking about some of his protagonists and that uh, some of his female characters prior to this survive by virtue of the fact that they don't die, right? Like uh, the characters in Eden Alive or Sally in Texas Chainsaw or Amy in The Fun House. It's like they don't, they're not necessarily active participants in their own survival. They just don't get killed. Um, And in Poltergeist, we get very much the opposite to the point where uh, uh, Diane, Diane Freeling. Thank you. (laughs) It's been a long day. Um, there's nothing she won't do. I mean, I love that moment where she gets knocked on her ass and immediately jumps up and tries to run back up the stairs. Like, it's so, so great. Uh, and it says everything about that character and that family. And again, that may be part of the Spielberg screenplay influence because nowhere else really in Toby Hooper's filmography is there that kind of emphasis on family bonds that are not like dark fucked up family bonds like the saw is family in texas chainsaw too like that's a different kind of family here it's very much the family that you want to have um i just love that moment so much well i think it's interesting if you look at poltergeist versus like say something like et um i mean these are two two movies about mothers if you think about it um except that in et it's about a mother who's not nearly as involved with her children's lives as she as she would hopefully want to be Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like she's you know newly divorced she's going through some shit and she you know her kids have to grow up kind of fast because you know she's doing the very best that she can you know and that's obviously you know due to you know d wallace's beautiful performance in that movie um and then on the flip side you look at diane in poltergeist and this is a mom who's very involved in her kids you know, lives and she sees them all the time and, you know, and she's very concerned and she's, she's a very active participant. Um, and if you, if you think about it, like Poltergeist is really about Diane, uh, of, of anybody else of this family, because it's, it's her, you know, constant push to save her family. And that's not saying anything about, you know, Craig T. Nelson's performance or the role of Steven, but like, look at the physical, like just how they're presented visually, 
uh, once you know things have gone to hell in that house, Steve Stephen looks like he like he's a corpse. He looks like he's a walking corpse. And Diane Freeling, like she's she's a battered mom at this point. Like emotionally, she's carrying some shit with her, and like she still looks like a breath of fresh air walking through a room. Like she's still accessorizing, and she still looks wonderful. Like her hair is still done. Um, and I think that's you know in a way, sort of testifying to the the strength of women, and the fact that like this woman whose daughter has gone missing into a completely different realm of existence can still you know, be conscientious of her two children who were there. The fact that she's having all this crazy stuff happen in her house, you know, her husband's pretty much on the brink and like, she's got it together enough to like, okay, I'm going to go shower and do my hair and put on like clothes. Like I'm somebody who lives in my pajamas and I don't even have the effort to put on normal clothes every day. You know what I mean? I think that's what, you know, makes Diane like the, the force that drives that movie. Um, because it really is, her and I think, and that was probably again conscientious on you know their part in terms of this you know second finale that it's just Diane Stephen's not in the house right. it's her who has to come in and save her kids um, and again I just think if you talk about really great moms in horror like she's one of the very best yeah I don't think it was till I revisited the movie more as an adult as a kid I just was like yeah the ghosts are trying to get the kids you you think Caroline is the main character of the movie because like she's in the marketing and she's the iconic stuff that you remember and as an adult it was like oh this is a very maternal movie actually this isn't there are elements that are told from the kid's point of view obviously all the stuff with Robbie and the clown and the tree and like there are moments where he's putting you in the kid's perspective um, but for the most part, as you said, it's it's really about Diane's journey. Adam, you just watched it this week. What was your takeaway? Uh, in particular, about the just in general, of, the, the movie. Yeah, uh, I I liked it more than I ever have. Um, it's not a movie that I, I I when I first put the headphones on, I heard Heather had watched it. You know, a lot of times, and she has a problem. It's okay. It's okay. I do. I, I'm a '90s kid. I don't know. What, I mean, we all got problems. When I put the Poltergeist DVD in, it just said, are you sure? And then I said, yes. And then it said, it's not from the 90s. And I said, continue. Luckily, Casper came on. Yes. So <laughs> he swapped it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the special D specialized edition. Um, so I, uh, no, I, I liked it more than I ever have. It's a movie that I, um, and I have this with uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre also. There becomes this air around the movie that, intimidates me sure um so the first time i saw texas chainsaw massacre i returned it to blockbuster immediately after Mm. it was over because i'm like i can't have this in my house (laughs) like i was just so shook by it and then um poltergeist was kind of the same way but i i don't want to get into that but it's because of the behind the scenes type of type of events that happen around around it um and i think i'm finally able to put all that aside and just sort of come into it from um the toby hooper perspective um one thing that i really like about it is it's like steven spielberg invited toby hooper over to his house and their kids and they're playing in like the sandbox and steven spielberg has all of his toys and then he's just like invites toby in and then it's toby's turn to direct and his way of play is so different mm-hmm. than what Steven Spielberg would do, but it's almost like Steven Spielberg feels free by that, <laughs> and he can try things. And that's what I really right. like about it's like taking his his model and then just putting your own stamp on it and everything. And I really dig that about it. Also, um, you guys really well, you know, put very well 
um, how great Craig T. Nelson and especially Joe Beth Williams are in the movie. I mean, they are such good. They're such a good couple. Yeah. Like not even just parents. They're such a good couple. There's like those scenes where they're just like mouthing. I love you to each other after, you know, they get Carol Ann back when, when um, he's going back to work and they're packing up all their stuff. And it's just like a little moment that you wouldn't get in a 2018 right. movie. And I really dig that. Um, and, yeah, no, I, I, I really liked it a lot. I also, um, not to dredge the E.T. thing back up, because whatever, I have a stupid opinion about E.T., but um, <laughs> E.T. always is a movie that I have a distance to, and it's almost like this time I was watching it, and I'm like, oh, Toby Hooper feels the same way that I do about the suburbs and this kind of enclave. Sure, It's like... Steven Spielberg's like, isn't this heaven? And like Toby Hooper's like, yeah, it's heaven as long as you can ignore that it's built on the, <laughs> right. above dead people. Right. So I was like, but, yeah. but not an ancient, bar- an ancient Native, Native American, American burial ground. Just yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, I, I really, I really liked it a lot. I, I um, yeah, Poltergeist is good. I had a similar relationship with both poltergeist and texas chainsaw massacre mm-hmm. even after i went like full in on toby hooper where i liked those movies but i was like uh, there was something about them where i was more interested into diving into the slightly more off the beaten path movies the ones that didn't get as much attention and it wasn't just like i demand to be different you can't like the band i like it was just like so much has been said about those movies. Those movies are so much in the collective consciousness that I don't know what I can get from them or what I can give back to them. So I kind of dug in deeper on some of the other movies and it's honestly only been within the last year or two. I feel like that I've been able to come back to Texas Chainsaw and Poltergeist as like you said, as Toby Hooper movies and not as, cultural touchstones you know i'm able to when i watch poltergeist now i'm not like okay here's the movie that helped define 80s horror and suburbia and you know what the spielberg brand is it's like i can just watch it as a toby hooper movie and it it truly does increase my appreciation and affection for it i when you you mentioned earlier that you guys had recently talked about kinder trauma did you guys at least talk about the clown scene Nothing from Poltergeist. I don't know what the hell I, I can't was even believe that. Were you, I have no you don't even drink, po- but were you has, drunk? If today has proven anything, it's that I have no business podcasting. Oh, that's crazy. But no, I and I think for me, because it is a movie that I have spent a significant amount of time, like, I'm a weird, like, and I know we all do, like, but there's those movies that you sort of end up emotionally attached to. And it's sure. like, that's not to say, like, you know, I freaking love, you know, the nightmare movies. But, like, when I talk about, like, movies that I'm emotionally attached to, like, that you just feel it in your, like, inside. Like, Poltergeist is one of those. Because I've, I've spent 35 years, basically, of my life being in love with this movie. Um, and I just think that, again, it's just something that, you know, if you look at the movies, it sort of follow. Because... You know, and something I mentioned in, like, the the piece I wrote on Poltergeist a few years ago, and I think you mentioned something very similar earlier, you know, up until this point, like, most horror was either, like, kids going to a cabin, and, you know, it was away from your house, and Toby brought it to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you mentioned that, like, where he was finally bringing stuff to people um, in very invasive ways, and you, you almost feel like it's an assault in some ways, because it's like, whoa, 
like you're not supposed to do these things in people's homes. Like this is when, you know, paranormal investigators are supposed to go to the creepy old mansion. You know, ghosts aren't supposed to come to suburbia and they're certainly not supposed to take a little, you know, adorable little blonde <laughs> girls and like, you know, and take them to like a completely, you know, different, you know, plane of existence. Like that just isn't supposed to happen. Um, and I just look at like, there's so many little touches to poltergeist. Um, Every time I watch, and again, it was like sort of watching the phys- physicality of like Craig T. Nelson versus Joe Beth was something that popped up when I was watching this the other night because I was like, wow, like it's a visible difference between their characters. Um, but like if you watch that opening um, of Poltergeist, which is one of my very favorite openings of a horror movie ever, um, and Toby introduces us basically to this house and to this family without a word. It's a dog going through the house and establishing these characters you know, without a lick of dialogue. Yeah. It's a dog just going through and we get introduced to all these different people while they're sleeping. And like immediately we already know this family. Like how the hell do you do that? I don't think I've ever seen a movie since then that's been able to pull it off that effectively. Um, and then when you watch, you know, when Caroline comes down and she does like the, you know, they're here or I, I think they, they're here was the second time, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't remember. Okay, um, but, like, she's talking to the TV people, and if you look at the way that everything is, like, you know, even just positioned in that house, like, you have Carol Ann, who's basically the closest to the realm, you know, and she's at the TV, and Craig T. Nelson is right behind her because, you know, as we learn later, like, even though Steven's supposed to be the disciplinarian, he's, he's you know, he's not, and, you know, he has that special, you know, daddy-daughter bond, and I think, obviously, it's sort of you know, is a little more stronger between her versus between um, Dominique's character. And then if you look at the way that the characters are stacked, like when they're on the staircase, it all kind of goes into how those relationships relate back and forth between those characters. Where poor Robbie, this kid, like just gets like between evil clowns and trees. Like, yeah, he might have the coolest room ever for a kid in 1982, but this poor kid is almost an afterthought in a lot of cases. Um, not not as bad as poor Dominique, who almost gets left behind at the end of the movie because you know, let's be honest, we're getting the hell out of there. She um, comes back and like, "What happened?" And yeah. like, "Well, where 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 were you, by the yeah. way?" I, don't, I really <laughs> with your, like with your hickey. <laughs> I really like the that every character in the family, in particular, is given like a way of like a point of view and reactions to what's going on. Yeah. Like the, because a lot of movies would just sort of be like they're the family and they all act the same way. But I love that the uh, Dominic Dunn wants to go to her friend's house. That's like what she says that very quickly. And like they send Robbie to the grandma's and he asks, can the dog come to <laughs> partly because of protection, but partly also because he doesn't want the dog to have to be there right. and things like that. So there's things like that. And then also, I mean, the paranormal investigator, like when he has the, the freak out in the mirror, he's like, OK, no, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> And it's just interesting because all of these people have individual personalities and individual lines in the sand of where they're done. And the fact that the parents are like, well, we lost one kid, but we don't need to keep us all together. Like we can send them off into safety, hopefully. Um, It makes me so much more invested in them as characters because they're smart and they're relatable, but not in an obnoxious stars. They're just like us way. (laughs) Well, I think what it's it's you know essentially once Tangina comes into the picture and they realize just how dangerous all of this is, like everybody's still together up until that point, and then you realize like oh, 
things are going to get even worse now for a bit. Now we must, you know, protect our other children and let them go off. Um, and it's, it's interesting because, like, you know, when you think about it, like when uh, Dr. Lesh and her team comes in, like me, I would have sent my kids off at that point anyway, like before that point. Like, the minute it happens, like, okay, let's get these kids out of this house. But they still stay together as a family. And if you think about it, like, that's what this force has been trying to do. It's been trying to tear this family apart. I mean, if you think about the initial attack, you know, when Robbie's getting eaten by the tree and Caroline goes into the closet, in that moment, that force is making, you know, the Freelings as a family choose between those two kids. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they have to choose between Robbie or Caroline. And they go after Robbie. And what happens? Carol Ann goes. Um, and again, it's just, it's those little touches that it's just like, oh, I don't want to cry, but I want to cry. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, 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 that's what makes it special. That's the reason, like, I, I literally just fall in love with this movie over and over again. Uh, and again, you know, we have, we've talked a lot about the family, but of course, Zelda Rubenstein and Beatrice Strait were two amazingly great supporting female characters too when they didn't even have to be do you know what i mean like in a movie chock full of rich characters he still gives us more great characters right. uh and they're two very strong women so you know i mean on, on that level alone like in 1982 in horror like who the hell else was doing that well and you were earlier we're talking about you know how it's really joe beth williams who's holding everything together and and craig nelson is falling apart and she's keeping it together and i mean the movie throughout really it's the female characters who do everything you know all of the major things that are done in a positive way are beatrice straight beatrice straight or zelda rubenstein or joe beth williams like the men just kind of manage to be ineffectual or in some cases downright damaging like you know james karen just moving the headstones um and again that speaks to some of the some of the uh you know toby was very mistrustful of uh 80s greed you know it comes up in as far back as texas chainsaw it comes up again in texas chainsaw 2 it's very much a part of poltergeist um oh yeah because i one thing in and sort of to touch off of that real quick you know because at that point like we were all starting to fall you know i mean i was too young but from i'm super obsessed with the cnn decades documentaries oh, okay. so it was really fun to go back and watch the 80s ones because i lived through it but i don't remember a lot of it because i was so young but like how basically like the the world sort of came together around Ronald Reagan, who, you know, was this, re you know, Republican conservative and like had these like, you know, very specific ideals for like how this country was going to be run. And it was very shocking and different in, uh, in sort of comparison to what had preceded it. Uh, and we sort of had this like as a collective country, this sort of love affair with Reaganomics. Um, and if you look at it, like. You know, basically, Mr. Teague, he's like the embodiment of Reaganomics. Right. Like, we're just going to tear this out and build on that and whatever happens, happens. You know, who cares about ghosts? Um, <laughs> and there's even like, and they even sort of nod to it with Craig T. Nelson's character, who, I, you know, I feel like sort of represents kind of like a liberal you know, viewpoint. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, especially the bedroom scene, they're smoking weed, having, you know, jumping on the bed. Um, but he's reading a Ronald Reagan book. Right. Um, and I just think it's a really interesting sort of statement on where we were as a country at that point that even folks who, you know, typically weren't seeing Republican, you know, perspectives were embracing these things. Um, 
And I think Toby was just trying to sort of point out the danger in that. When you were when you watched it as a kid, did you know that they were getting high? I didn't. We actually, I did, um, and that's because I had um, a friend whose parents smoked. Oh, uh, and they just kept their bong in the dining room for real. But it was, yeah, I don't know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so I just, I mean, I knew what that was, but I, it wasn't anything that I was always like, oh, I want to, you know what I mean? Like it was just, I just a thing that I thought parents did in the eighties. <laughs> I don't know. I guess everybody, I thought everybody's parents, but my mom did it. I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> I just I remember seeing it as an adult and being like, "Whoa, wait a second! How did I miss that when I saw this as a kid?" Because but and well, and look at that scene though. You think it's sort of this throwaway thing where they're you know she's reading a, a psychology book, which I just love because every concerned parent about their kid would just pick up a psychology book, <laughs> uh, which is essentially us going to WebMD these days. Right. Um, you know, but they have this off conversation about like Carolyn falling in the pool, and then think about what comes in that final act. You're watching Diane have to basically make her way out of the pool. Right. Like it's so genius, and it's such. It could be just such a toss-away moment, but it's such a great character moment, and it also ends up being a plot moment as well. And, so good. And it gives us uh, Toby Hooper skeletons, which, you know, pop up in almost every Toby Hooper movie. He's kind of obsessed with skeletons. and there's a, the, Can you blame them, though? No, they cool. Skeletons. We have a skeleton sitting at the table yeah. with us right now. He did a day on Poltergeist. Did he? Yeah. He's cut, too. He says Toby Hooper directed it. Oh, well, there you go. He knows. <laughs> um, just, I guess, to swing it back. I mean, what what it, what is really special about it is, Adam, I liked your analogy about they're playing on the playground. But I think what's cool about it is that it's not a... It's not two movies fighting for dominance. Mm -hmm. That it's a true collaboration and that each aspect that each guy contributed makes the other guys better yeah they're that, obviously interested in each other's approaches right feeding off of one another that the that the more emotional family heartfelt stuff that kind of comes from spielberg um makes it scarier when the scary shit happens mm -hmm. um and that it's not just a haunted house movie because there's so much for us to care about. Uh, and I just think that both of those things sort of working in concert together makes for something yeah. very special. And not, you know, I there just aren't many other movies I could say do this same thing. Can, yeah. can I just... Can I butt in really quick? Because I'm totally inspired by Adam Risky talking about like little time, uh, Toby no. Hooper and little St Steven Spielberg can playing at the playground. Can we, cartoon, can we get a Muppet? Can we? Yeah, I was going to say, can we do a Muppet Babies version of yes. Masters of Horror where yes. we just watch little little can directors coming drawn? together? <laughs> I don't give a shit. I will can take Toby like, Hooper can... be drinking Dr. Pepper out of a baby bottle? Yeah, whatever. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Your script supervisor. Uh, <laughs> you know more about yeah. Toby Hooper than any of us. We've this, had a number of screenwriters on this podcast so far today. I'm going to message them both. <laughs> if we can get a Netflix happen. Kickstarter, let's do it. I don't care. If we could get a Netflix cartoon about like little Dominic Toretto's nephew or something that I heard that they're doing. What? Yeah, there's going to be what? like a Fast and Furious cartoon. Oh dear God! Hold on, if you guys listen very closely, you guys will hear me unsubscribing from Netflix. <laughs> what took you so long? <laughs> I gotta see season two of Ozark. Yeah, I saw the 
the preview for the new Jonah Hill Emma Stone miniseries, and I'm just like, you're not going to get me. <laughs> mm, they might have got me with that because I, I have very little time for serialized anything these mm. days. But I was like, oh, that looks really cool, though. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm, I might I might have to do it. No, I but uh, no, I just I want Muppet Baby Masters of Horror. So oh, guys, God. just make that happen. From your lips to God's ears, my friend. <laughs> um, now the. The whole uh, collaboration on Poltergeist reminds me so much of just it's it's the same thing with Gremlins. It's Spielberg Dante. It's yeah. I mean, it's um, the two of them are I like Spielberg has proven in like Jurassic Park and The Lost World. He's got a real you know side to him where he likes to be a little mean. Um, you know, he likes to be nice, but he also likes to be a little bit mean. And I feel like. Uh, you know, just Toby Hooper's point of view and filmmaking style um, just kind of lends itself to that, too. But it folds in real nicely because he's a sweet guy and so is Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I always wonder, like, if we'd actually gotten Dark Skies like, and gotten to see his nasty alien movie, like, how different his career would have been. Are you, because are you talking about Spielberg he, or Toby? Yeah, because Spielberg, because that was, like, his project initially what, uh, that he was think? pitching over to... Oh, okay. What do you think about yeah, War he, of the Worlds, though? That might be some of his carryover from Dark Skies. You know, in a way, I think it is, but I also feel like that's still a pretty safe movie. Um, I just don't feel like it quite... Like, imagine Spielberg making, like, an, like a really messed up alien movie in the early 80s. That right. excites me. Because you don't know... Like, you know, that that could have been all bets are off. And I wish we kind of would have seen that. Uh, I mean, thank God we got Poltergeist. Um... But I'm always curious to see how different maybe his career could have been if he had gotten to do that. Because if he would have then come out of the gate with this crazy weird alien movie, like I don't would he have still been riding the 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 love train the love train from ET? Like it's you know what I mean. I know he was doing like the Indiana Jones movies and stuff like that. Um, but they're you know I want to I've always wanted to see off the rails Spielberg and I don't know that we ever will but mm-hmm. there's a part of me that just like sits there and tries to think about that and like man like what his career could have looked like not that he needs any career advice from anybody really <laughs> um, you know <laughs> Mr Spielberg if you don't mind I've got some ideas for your career I feel like I know where we could take this um, yeah I mean obviously he doesn't give a shit what I think but I just I as a fan of his and somebody who grew up ingrained you know having Spielberg's you know, work ingrained in them. Like, man, I really wish we could have gotten like Spielberg doing something like really fucked up, like the thing, you know what I mean? With alien, you know, I don't know. I just, it makes me, you know, a little wistful. Yeah. Was Poltergeist the first, uh, Toby Hooper movie that you ever saw? It was. Yeah. Cause the, we had two movies in my house. Like my mom was really cool about horror movies, obviously as a kid. Cause like I watched all kinds of, I watched Poltergeist at five, um, which is also around the same time. I think I watched the thing. So mm-hmm go you know <laughs> I, I don't know what she was thinking but here i am um but there was two movies that were no no movies in my house um and it was the exorcist and texas chainsaw and she very much believed in the stuff of the exorcist mm-hmm. so that was like she didn't like i'm not even when you talked about like taking texas chainsaw back to blockbuster i suggested because she tries to watch movies sometimes to get involved with what i do and she's so she was like you know, what about this paranormal activity movie? And I was like, oh, that, that'll be fine. It'll, it'll be a mild, you know, scare for her. And she called me up and yelled at me because I was inviting like <laughs> terrible forces into her house. And she put it like in her purse, in a bag inside the closet and wouldn't go near the closet until she left for work. Don't so exorcist. 
Oh, don't you just kind of love that feeling, though, a little bit? Like, where you catch yourself and you're just completely irrationally scared by a movie and you know oh totally i miss that feeling yeah it's fun yeah i miss that but like and so texas chainsaw i didn't see until i was in high school so for some reason you know poltergeist was the okay movie i think again spielberg you know pg this this should be fine um and then it was after that i think the next one i saw was like texas chainsaw 2 Um, and I was like, holy shit. (laughs) I was like, what is this guy doing? I was like, if this is what the Texas Chainsaw movies are like, I can't even imagine what the first one is. So I actually saw two before one, uh, if you can believe that. I can't. And then I saw the remake before I saw the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And boy, was I thrilled to be like, this is how you do a Texas Chainsaw Massacre (laughs) the first way. Um, yeah, no, it's funny you brought up Texas Chainsaw 2 because I had a, a similar kind of experience with that. I saw Texas Chainsaw 2 well before I saw the original, and um, I brought it over to my friend's house in high school, and we were like the, I thought we were like this little horror duo, but apparently I had much more of an appetite for horror than he did, and I remember his mom walked in during one of the first i think it was chop top in the in the um the radio station mm-hmm. at the first time and she's just like what is this whose son are you and stuff <laughs> like that and then i think i because of that i was um i the, the situation made me embarrassed and i think like i put off going back to it for a long time like is there something wrong with me and it's like no there was always just something wrong with Brad's mom. Uh, Brad's mom. Way to go, this, way to go Brad's mom. Yeah. This podcast has a real enemy. It's Brad's mom. <laughs> yeah. we, you need you need Brad's mom t-shirts made up. I'm just putting that out there too. Brad's well, mom does not have it going on. <laughs> well, while we're putting out a list of demands. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what today has been about. It's just making demands of people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I so want that little kid cartoon, though. <laughs> the little, uh, the I don't think I've wanted director. anything more in my life. We could call it Little Masters. I love it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm so yeah. into it. I want mm-hmm. even baby Mick Garris, though, to have beautiful long hair. Oh, <laughs> gorgeous. <course>. But all, <laughs> the silkiest. And he, he still has Mick Garris's voice because that's one of the best voices. It's a great voice. It's a great voice. Yeah. I was listening to um, a couple of episodes of Postmortem, the uh, Toby Hooper episode, mm-hmm. and then um, the Wes Craven, Robert England episode yesterday, and it was just like I, I could listen to Mick Garris for like a cross country road trip. I mean, it's just his stories are great, and yeah. that show is terrific. Yeah, yeah guys. But... By the, I just I just thought of Tiny Guillermo del Toro, and I got giddy <laughs> at the thought. Can I just can I just say? Yeah, I just I just smiled so big. <laughs> Uh, at least someone out there who's like an artist can someone at least just mock up a picture of the baby little ma- little masters. Can we have one episode oh. where little Devoff is there? Yeah, I mean there could be guest stars. Okay, right. yeah. I just want to make sure. Like, I mean, you know, you know, Robert England's got to have to three. Yeah, you're gonna have to give Robert England at least a three episode uh, run at, at season one. <laughs> I mean, England come on, insist on acting in Little Masters <laughs> under heavy prosthetics. I can do it. <laughs> It'll be a challenge. It'll be like when I played, whatever, Othello. I can't think of a good. <laughs> when I was waiting for Godard in a high school cafeteria. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, Heather, we're, we're, we're reaching the end of your hour, so I don't want to take up more of your time. But uh, 
this was Oh, it's okay. I know you you you've got other other folks to get to, so it's all good. You know, it's really just uh Adam, I think. I think that's how we're going to wrap it up. I, we're going to wrap up by talking about wait, nothing but So the so he shoot wait, wait, wait. So he shoehorns in on my hour and now he gets his own hour? It's, no, I'm going to stay around for his hour you now. You can absolutely stick around. It was my no, fault. I'm just joking. No, be our rollover. <laughs> it's like sports radio for like the first 20 minutes. We're we're talking about uh like mostly TV stuff if you want to jump in. Yeah. Oh no, it's okay. I'm just joking. You 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 go get your risky on. But no, I just thought that was funny. It was like because uh, hello, I'm gonna make a big deal out of it. So there you go. You've just been top critic, <laughs> top critic stamp. <laughs> <laughs> Let's also make that a thing, please. You've just been turned away from Tiff. <laughs> I don't know. Is that like oh, a look? Oh, is that gosh. like a critic punked? Episode yeah, like yeah, you yeah, get yeah. turned away yeah. from a screening or something. We are being brought Dr. Peppers oh. and pizza. Thank you. This is my Thank first you. time eating <laughs> oh, today. Wow. Oh, you're getting pizza. I'm so yeah. jealous. Yeah. Can you just like waft it towards the microphone so I oh, can yeah, smell yeah, yeah. it over here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, is it? <laughs> can you, can oh my goodness. Just say I love Toby Hooper. I love Toby Hooper. Thank you. I love Toby Hooper. Thank you very much. <laughs> Don't worry about the skeleton. He worked a day on Poltergeist. He earned his spot. I know people don't like it when you chew food. Um, it's okay. Microphone, but today's special, I think right? everyone understands. Oh, We're live and whatnot. Oh, thank you. Okay. Do I have to say I love Toby Hooper? Yeah. I love Patrick Bromley. Damn it. Oh, my God. Damn it. Whoa. All right. Thank you, guys. We're letting Heather go so that we can wrap up. Oh. Yeah, go have fun. Enjoy the pizza. Thank you very much. I'm excited to eat. And uh, thank you so much for... Coming on. I mean, I know you're an incredibly busy person who is writing books and running websites. <laughs> and, uh, and it's mostly just playing Wheel of Fortune on my phone. Also, it's all a, it's all a, a facade. Also it's, a lot it's all of fake. phone Wheel of Fortune. But no, seriously, it's it's amazing that you came on, and obviously, it means a lot to me. So thank you. And I. Lo- oh, you're very welcome. And I oh, I loved the last episode of uh, Corpse Club because if for no other reason. You went to bat again for Slender Man and Wish Upon, and I'm telling you. I didn't you, go to, look, I'm not going to bat for Slender Man. I just don't think it's the abomination that everybody thinks it is. And I, I had, it was fine. Like, I had, it was an okay time. Like, I didn't hate it. I don't under, I mean, whatever. I don't know. I, I didn't hate hate the dirty puppet movie either, so what the fuck do I know? On Sorry, Lil, kids. On Lil Masters, can Lil Stephen King wear a shirt that says Joey King rules? Yes. <laughs> whoever is drawing this, I hope, listener, whoever you are, please be taking extensive notes. I cause... hope they have erasable crayons because <laughs> we, we're throwing ideas out. <laughs> they, ju- they just finished the shirt and you're like, damn it, now I have to start over again. They already they already got to, to, to tiny Stephen King. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I'm going to let you guys go have your pizza and finish up. But really, Thank Patrick, you. what you've done today is amazing. And you should be so proud. Um, and I, I think that's something that anybody who's listened to even five minutes of today, whether it's, you know, the entire run, just a little bit, you know, like what you're doing is just an incredible tribute. It's it's lovely. It's wonderful. And it's, a, I think we all sort of struggle with how we grieve with certain things. Um, and I just think being able to sit around and tell stories with friends is kind of the best way to do that. And I think what you've been able to do for this, you know, anniversary is really awesome. So I'm glad you guys made, you made it the whole run. Yeah, almost. I got another hour, so we'll see what happens in this next hour, but thank you, Heather. 
Awesome, guys. Well, have fun. You're the best. I will talk to you soon. Bye, Heather. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Before we uh, before we start our final hour, I believe, talking about Toby on TV, I have a couple things to play. I have, I believe, two more podcast dedications as well as, I think, a song. Do I have a song? I don't have a song. I just have two podcast <laughs> dedications. So we're going to make that happen, and uh, Adam and I will be back shortly. Hold on. It's, I'm, one of these I'm literally downloading, like right now because it came over during the podcast so i've been trying to yeah listen i am uh, hey after this movie listeners uh this is andy treffenbach from we need to talk about horror and we wanted to chime in uh before we recorded our episode 31 uh about toby hooper now i actually have um early story with toby Uh, i met him 10 years ago 2008 at festival of fear and he introduced and did a Q&A of uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, 35mm film, which was my first time watching it on film, but I wanted to rewind, and I, I know you'll probably get a few stories like this that will sound familiar, but uh, you know, when I discovered Texas Chainsaw Massacre on VHS, I didn't know what I was watching. I had the hardest time comprehending what was happening because... Uh, you know, back back then, this was like the mid-90s, and I'm recording while I'm 37, so do the math. But, you know, I knew what a stage production was. I knew what a film production was. I could look at Nightmare on Elm Street and tell you that a director was actually directing a movie. Actors were acting. There was a story to be told. But when I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that all got thrown out the window. Uh, no pun intended. And I didn't know if I was watching, like a snuff film or a documentary. Keep in mind, I was an early teen, so I didn't know what was happening, but all I knew was, I think this is madness captured on film, and that was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for me, and it, I've shown it now twice at our Late Night Grindhouse program, and it's still so impactful, you know, years later, and it's pretty amazing. But, Josh, what what were your memories of Toby? Well, I remember my mom was reading an Entertainment Weekly magazine, and the article was the top 25 scariest movies ever. And I think number three or number two was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And my mom said, Oh, that movie, that, that movie's sick. That movie is so disgusting. I will kill your dad if he ever showed you that. And, of course, like, the next day I watched it. And, uh, you know, that was just, that was pretty much my introduction. And, you know, my dad had all these horror movies that it felt like I was forbidden to see because of my mom. And, of course, when they weren't around, I just watched them anyway. So, yeah. Jeremy, how about you? What, what do you um, got? You love Invaders from I Mars. I love Invaders from Mars. I love the canon era of Tobey, especially. And, honestly, that was the one I had seen most recently. Um, had seen the original a couple times as a kid, but just the like paranoia surrounding. I can't think of the kid's the, the name, character's the, name. Yeah, no, you're uh, <laughs> sorry, but I mean, yeah, that that's what touch base with me too. And I think the production value is great on that one too. I, I think mean, that it's might not have been, like balls to the wall like uh, Life Force is, right? But, but I think that might have been the very first movie that I watched where it's like, don't trust your parents. Yeah, theme. So, and that is definitely something I saw the original as a kid. And was like, oh, like I didn't like, yeah, don't trust adults. 
Yeah. Um, That's but kind of piggybacking what like Josh said on Texas Chainsaw, just the name itself and the reputation of that movie really from people who have never seen it. Like I rented it when I was 17 and my mom's like, really? And I was like, you know, I own these other movies, you know, and I was like, never mind, never mind. Like there's so much worse material out there, but just the reputation it had, it's for kids, uh, kids, for people our age, I feel like it's a movie you heard about more from other people just because of the title. Right. Than when you actually saw it. Not that I think... It's a notorious title. Yeah. For sure. And, I mean, anytime you have massacre in the title, it's yeah. just like, oh, man, it's going to be a bloodbath. But, you know, I, I mean, as, as, as redundant as it might sound, there's barely any blood in the whole thing. So, it's just vicious... Um, visceral kind of like ferocity captured yeah. on film. I even like honestly, I have a hard time calling it a, a film because I just think it's a document uh, mm-hmm. in a weird way. But Patrick, what about you? Well, um, as you said, um, it actually with Texas Chainsaw it doesn't really show that much as far as gore and blood. Um, but th- with that reputation, I I kind of had that same experience where, uh, as a kid, I was told by my parents not to watch it because they're like, you know, that's like the bloodiest movie ever made. Like, you can't watch that. <laughs> and I remember watching it, and it, it was actually one of my uh, first introductions to horror post-universal classic monsters, you know? Because um, as a kid, that's what I would normally watch. But uh, I remember watching Texas Chainsaw just like okay i'm gonna see what this is all about and i watched it in my mom's basement and yeah i mean like i had all the lights out and did you watch it alone i watched it alone okay. so, which was a great experience and like i was just tense the whole time and uh yeah you know that same thing you know you, even though it doesn't really show that much you, you really felt like you experienced everything like you felt like you were seeing everything and uh, but not only with Texas Chainsaw, but like just the great TV work, like Body Bags, and he probably did the best episode of Freddy's Nightmares, I'd say. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, and Toby was in my for you know for my money, he was probably the most imaginative to me as far as like you know everybody talks about John Carpenter, everybody talks about you know Dario Argento and all these other masters of horror. And I've always thought that Toby has been kind of underlooked in a weird way. Um, you know, if you take a look at, like Jeremy was talking about, his canon like trilogy with Texas Chainsaw Part 2, which kudos to Toby for creating a sequel that is similar yet wildly different. And, yeah. Well, I remember at Late Night Grindhouse you said it's, it's like, it's like the first movie, but a more coked out version of it's the yeah. it's the Gremlins two of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> or uh, a friend put it well; he just said it is completely unhinged, just in a different way than the original. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, like you know, you take a look at Life Force and Invaders from Mars. Even though Invaders from Mars was a remake, it's just all I see is imagination out of all of those. And it's just, you know, he did a different approach to something that was wildly popular, like Texas Chainsaw, and then went and did a space vampire movie called Life Force that was just huge, and it had no right to really be huge. Yeah. And then Invaders from Mars was this, you know, great little paranoia piece that 
um, also had a lot of weirdness to it that I uh, identify with Toby. And Toby is probably one of the first directors where I noticed a signature, a visual signature. So I always thought that was interesting. Um, Mike, what about you? I yeah, I I've kind of discovered him through the the canon era. That that three film series is bread and butter for me. It's Life Force is incredibly <laughs> bold uh, for for a movie that didn't have the budget for what it was trying to do. It sure achieves it really well. And Invaders from Mars is. Uh, just a one of a kind kind of thing, and I think that was probably the first thing that I saw probably on TV. Yeah, um, and later went back to you know discover Texas Chainsaw and seeing Texas Chainsaw two and thinking this can't be the same director, and then all of a sudden you know discovering oh yeah it is the same guy. He was just reflecting the times, yeah. and that's that's pretty much it. That's that's what Texas Chainsaw two is to me. It's just a reflection. It's just putting that family. Into a different era, and uh, it, it's it's really smart what he did with it. Even if even if you don't like Texas Chainsaw Two, and I know there are people that don't, um, it, he was kind of a, a one of a kind. It just I can't see anybody making that that sequel to a movie. the The last thing I wanted to leave off with with Toby was that. Um, his soundtrack work, his score work on Texas Chainsaw, which I was kind of always bummed that he never really returned to. Um, yeah. Even though, you know, I know Texas Chainsaw was like a very kind of personal DIY, DIY mm-hmm. project, but some of that stuff is frightening. And I think it, again, it's another early recollection um, during my formative years that I could understand what a soundtrack and how impactful it could be, and married with the right images, uh, much like John Carpenter's Halloween, where the score, I mean, if you took that score out of that movie, it, it would be a good movie still, but I don't know if it would be as impactful. Uh, same with Texas Chainsaw. It's like insanity on all levels. I always look at that as more of a you know, like soundscape than yeah, a proper really For sure, for sure. Yeah. But anyway... Um, thank we you. We did a full episode on Toby. Yes, a year ago, uh, episode eleven of We Need to Talk About Horror. If anybody wanted to check it out, but uh, thank you to Patrick and thank you for listening to this. And uh, thank you for hosting this all day marathon. Yeah, and tribute to Toby. So, thanks again. And you can find us at destroythebrain.com. Again, we run a podcast called We Need to Talk About Horror. Hey everyone, this is uh, Nolan McBride from Dead Ringers, uh, the podcast about horror double features with a lot of shared DNA but distinct personalities, and I'm joined by three of my co-hosts today, uh, Emily Von Zela, Ben McBride, and Paul Farrell, and we just wanted to pay tribute to Toby Hooper as part of F This Movie's big uh, live tribute. It took me a long time to get Toby Hooper. Like most people, Poltergeist messed me up as a kid. But I didn't actually seek out a ton of his work between then and early 2017, the same year he would later pass. Uh, I'd specifically avoided the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for a long time, having only seen the remake. And based on what Ben had told me, expecting the original's grimy nastiness to unnerve me in a way I couldn't bring myself to face. Uh, The movie instantly shot up in my estimation after seeing it. It was not what I expected in the least, but it was exactly the masterpiece everyone had praised it as being. 
I caught up with the sequel shortly after, and I'm still unsure which one I love more since they both offer pretty distinct experiences. Um, I revisited a few movies since his passing and filled in a couple more gaps, and the thing that really sticks out to me about Toby is his willingness to do something different every time. Uh, Generally speaking, I'm drawn to filmmakers with a more singular aesthetic and thematically cohesive body of work. Uh, And while there's certainly through lines in Hooper's filmography, especially a certain gonzo spirit, uh, what makes him so unique to me is that he never did the same thing twice. With Hooper, you can never really predict what you're going to get, and he wasn't content to just do the same thing. I think that's one of the things about Toby Hooper that I had to, like, find out as... And I kind of came to him later as well. And it was kind of something that I found out about him after the fact, like, many, many years later. Um, because like I, you know, I was familiar with Poltergeist, very familiar with Texas Chainsaw. And then I had kind of some minor, uh, familiarity with some of his other stuff. And then as I continued to watch some of his filmography, it was, it, yeah, it became very apparent that he, he did like to try some different things. And, and, and that's even apparent in Texas Chainsaw too, which is now my favorite Texas Chainsaw movie. <laughs> like I, I didn't think, I didn't think that was going to be the case, but it is. Yeah. Depending on the day. It's it's my favorite or, or the original is my favorite. I don't know. <laughs> it's a great movie. Yeah, I'm the same way. I came to his work later and I'm actually still filling in gaps. And I'm, I'm honestly glad that I waited as long as I did because I don't think that I would have had such an appreciation for a lot of his work, but a pre- particularly Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 when I was younger. I don't think I would have gotten it. I think that a lot of the amazing stuff that makes it so nuts, it wouldn't have hit me in the way that it does today. So I'm glad that I waited and I can now have such a full appreciation of the fact that he wasn't afraid to try new things and he wasn't afraid to just kind of go with his gut. And the fact that his gut took him in a different direction for every project is just so fascinating. Yeah, it's it's funny how you guys are all talking about how you came to him later. Because I remember, you know, I was coming into horror a little bit later in life, and I bought the DVD to Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I'd heard of it, and it just sat on my shelf for months because I was too terrified to open it. I was like, this is the one that's going to destroy me, like the, you know, because everything I had heard. And when I finally did watch it, you know, to me, what it what it kind of does is it it takes sort of the outlandish horror set pieces and characters from some of the more stylized and fantastical worlds of like classic universal horror or even hammer horror and kind of brings them into a more real and like raw environment. And I think that's what makes sort of Leatherface one of the more iconic characters um, is that he's like terrifying, believable, not this like creepy myth. You know, and I think that separates, you know, the character of Leatherface, you know, from the Freddies, the Jasons and the Michaels. Um, plus, it was, you know, it sort of predates that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think he he really takes like the gritty and makes it beautiful. And then he brings like a poignancy to the plight of those who are monstrous, which I think other filmmakers really don't do, you know, and I think that's what gives it that gonzo kind of bonkers quality. And I think that's what separates him from the other greats of the genre. Um, and his impact is like you're saying, and I'm so happy that Patrick Bromley and F this movie and everyone that's doing this is, is elevating him. Cause sometimes because of these odd qualities, he kind of falls behind the other masters um, and doesn't get as much talk because it's harder to kind of talk about these things, but um, he's just as important. Yeah, and I think you're right about the poignancy. I think he gives, especially Leatherface, a humanity that I don't think a lot of other people would. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other people who have made 
later Texas Chainsaw Massacres don't. So, and I, and I say that I, I came late to Toby Hooper, but really, like Poltergeist was something that was with me from the beginning. Like I just didn't realize, you know, his influence because um, you know a lot of people talk about the Spielberg Hooper thing, but like Hooper's definitely in Poltergeist. Yeah, that feels evident to me. Yeah, but yeah, it's just he's always been there. It just I've been late, late to recognize him. Hmm. Yeah, I guess is what I should say. Yeah, for sure. So, thanks Toby for keeping things interesting and exciting, and thanks to Patrick for your constant appreciation and championing of the man, which has assuredly influenced my own. Uh, you've kept the spirit of Toby alive even after he's gone. Okay. We are back, and we're broadcasting in both ears now, which is very strange. <laughs> I was wondering what changed. That's the change. Now okay. we're in both ears. So after this movie's own, Adam Risky here to bring us into the home stretch. Hi, everyone. Thank you to Dead Ringers, and we need to talk about horror for sending in those dedications and tributes. Um, not only were they great to hear, and hopefully will inspire you guys to check out their podcast, but also I got uh, a few minutes to scarf down some pizza, so thank you. He did scarf down pizza. It's true. A few pieces. Wow. Yeah. That's how I roll. Uh, our friend, Gluttony. Our friend Mike was texting, uh, asking if the next guest would be Brad's mom. And I'm sorry to say she's booked on a different tribute today. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's on a shaming show. <laughs> she's here in spirit. She's doing a podcast on the movie Shame. Oh, good. <laughs> good, good podcast. Yeah. Um, so we're going to close things out by talking about Toby Hooper on TV. Yes. Um, originally, you and JB were going to come on together, and we were trying to think about what to talk about. JB was kind of interested in talking Life Force. You were kind of interested in talking about something else. So it was like, well, let's break these up. It's actually really good for me because I get to start with someone here. I get to end with someone here. So this is very nice. I appreciate it. It's given me a, yeah. a, a goal to work towards all day. If I could just survive <laughs> until we can talk about perversions of science, I'll be okay. Yeah. I hope. Uh, yeah, if I, if I ever do get married, I hope that my fiance has the same goal to end with me, <laughs> but start with JB. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um, so, I mean, in addition to all these great movies that we've talked about, Toby Hooper has directed a lot of TV and some of it mm -hmm. episodic TV, you know, epi an episode of the equalizer yeah. or, um, there was the pilot that Mick Garris had brought up that I the need others? to... Thank you, the others. Yeah. Um, that I need to track down because I haven't seen that yet. But, mm. you know, he's also done a lot of horror and genre TV. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about. Not Salem's Lot because that's been covered, mm -hmm. but and all I, of his other made-for-TV contributions. I haven't seen Salem's Lot yet. Ever? Ever. No, my... I started... Scary movie moon. I need to watch Salem's Lot. Yeah. Once I heard Angela Bettis... Is in the toolbox yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm adding that to my list. <laughs> and then also, um, I didn't have enough time, but I watched a half hour of The Mangler this afternoon. Okay. And when I was on my way over here, I heard that you had Stephen David Brooks on. Yeah. And I was like, I just wanted to like call into your radio show and just be like, I really liked the first half hour of The Mangler. I can't <laughs> wait to finish it tonight. It's, you know, to that movie's credit, it sustains that first half hour for just under two hours. Good. Yeah. Once I saw like Ted Levine at his most Leviniest yeah. and um, 
he's got a psychic brother-in-law and they were talking about oatmeal and like whether he's he got non-fat oatmeal and he's like no i got granola and i'm just like look at my face i'm in (laughs) i uh i hope that that's going to be the next sort of rediscovery for toby hooper yeah Uh, i think the canon trilogy has you know been legitimized by scream factory and been rediscovered is the Mankler on Blu-ray? It is not. Okay. Um, it is. Uh, you can buy it in HD on Voodoo. Okay. Usually for like six or seven bucks. I rented it off Amazon, so they probably you probably could purchase it that way yeah, too. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but it's crazy and fun, and yeah, Stephen was a really fun guest to talk to. Yeah, it feels very much like if we did a Friday night double feature with Graveyard Shift, that would be. Oh my gosh! And we yeah. could have the theme be like sweat, dirty jobs. <laughs> That could be it. Like, Men at Work could be one of the trailers. Oh, my gosh. It was writing itself. Yeah. Hold on. Let me take some notes here. (laughs) We have columns to produce still even after this is over. Yeah. Shit. Um, So his first, I guess, big foray into genre television, again, post-Salem's Lot, post, you know, is the pilot for Freddy's Nightmares. Yeah. Which is a big get. Like... Yeah. We're doing this show. It's kind of a weird idea. It's a syndicated weekly Nightmare on Elm Street show. Yeah. Hey, Toby, want to come direct the pilot? And correct me if I'm wrong. Well, maybe. I guess Steve Miner has dipped his toe in both Friday and Halloween. Yeah, he did. He did um, Resurrection or did he do H2O? H2O, And then he did uh, Friday two and three. Yeah. Um, so there goes what I was just about to say, because I was about to say, I can't think of another filmmaker who's kind of worked with multiple icons, having worked with both Leatherface and now mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger. Yeah. It's still rare. Um, I thought that the episode of Freddy's Nightmares was fascinating. I've never, I haven't seen any of the other episodes. I've just seen the pilot. Um, and it's, a, it's an uneven show. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, I'm very prepared for that because yeah. I uh, on the Never Sleep Again documentary they have a, a bit about yeah. it and everything. Um, I'm trying to understand where its placement was. It, did it come before four or after four? It was 1988. Both of them. I feel like it's after four, okay. but obviously it's right around the same time. So. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to. The, the thing that struck me about it was. Freddy's scary again. Right. And um, the whole show is very, like, just, you expect it to be dark, because it's about Freddy Krueger as a man before he's, you know, killed by the mob and everything. Not the mafia, but the suburban mob. And... uh, (laughs) Also the mob. Yeah. Yeah. They they came over. (laughs) Freddy Krueger sleeps with the fishes. They're like, he's son of Sam, too. (laughs) Lump it in. All right. So, um, I, <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, they call him Five Finger Freddy. <laughs> He's got these knives for fingers. I don't I'm like starting it. to sound like Mark Jones. I don't like it. But he cuts the onions super thin. <laughs> um, <laughs> they liquefy in the pan. <laughs> so, I don't, I'm sorry. I didn't mean the rest to get off track like in minute four. Um, so, I, uh, it it's like especially where the episode ends it's so fucking dark yeah where i'm just like i don't and i know that they didn't um continue the series being about right. freddy krueger um that it just became kind of a traditional horror anthology uh series but 
that and we've talked and I've heard you talk throughout the day about you know whether it be the Fun House or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like these are movies that don't let you off the hook once yeah. the credits end, and you know that the the characters in it are are emotionally scarred well after the events um, that take place. And with Freddy's Nightmares, it's it really kind of honed in on just the existential dread of it all like it's not just he could you're waiting to go to sleep and you're a teenager and you might get killed as a teenager it's just you know this freddy thing that's set loose it's past just a physical being it's something that is just a a constant threat that lives and spreads in your brain Mm -hmm. like a disease and then it just leaves you at the most hopeless desperate place um i mean this guy who is killed spoilers for the pilot of freddy's <laughs> a show you can't get that's 30 years old yes um we have to be very careful about that um <laughs> also he becomes freddy a very popular character <laughs> in a very popular film franchise but the thing i couldn't get out of my head was i'm just like this man has a family and his daughters are probably going to get killed next <laughs> <laughs> like this is what he was trying to prevent, yeah. and it's not something that like you could just get over like Thomas Jane at the end of the mist, where you know he's going to be fine in like two weeks. <laughs> he's looking for another kid to shoot. <laughs> I'm going to shoot this AXL dog. Can't just keep walking around the robot dog. So, um, but no, I, I mean the Freddy's Nightmare thing, and I think <clears throat> part of it had to do with I had to buy a bootleg copy of it at a convention. I'll give you the name. So now of, Freddy's coming for you. You think? <laughs> I'll give it. Well, here's the thing. Maybe the FBI. I'll give. I'll give the FBI the name of the person. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! Oh my god! <laughs> I hit the microphone with my Dr. Pepper. I'm sorry, yeah. everyone. Yeah. Um, so, uh, no, it's just I think that added to like the kind of pungent darkness to it because the bootleg bootlegs smell have you noticed that like bootlegs have this dirty like past porn smell I buy a lot of bootlegs <laughs> but i don't know i don't know but like this the kind of that seedy like lo-fi quality yeah. just kind of added a creepiness to the whole thing um but uh no it's an interesting episode um of the episodes that we're going to talk about in the next hour i think it's not near the top for me, sure. But um, I do admire that Toby Hooper can kind of go back and forth between being really funny in his, uh, you know, with his sense of humor. If you're in tune with it, which I'm starting to get a lot more in tune with it, and just like so dark, yeah. And this was one of his episodes um, or his piece, his work that um, I just. It's it's like you almost have to laugh at the end of it because it's just like such a helpless feeling that it leaves you with. Again, he just decided like I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to soften this because it's a TV show. Um, I want this to be as fucked up as possible. And it it's amazing to me that that's what they led with. I mean, mm-hmm. I understand it. Okay, we're getting Freddy's origin. We don't get a lot of Freddy on this show. It's directed by a master of horror, so we can advertise that. But, mm. like, the rest of the show is way more, like, for lack of a better word, fun. You know what I mean? It's like, here's this goofy sort of thing, mm-hmm. and this person gets their comeuppance at the end via a Freddy nightmare. There are certainly some episodes that are dark, but nothing like yeah. the sort of almost real-world horror of the pilot. 
yeah. So I, I just admire not only that they led with that, but that they allowed. And, and I think the whole thing with that show, the stories that I've heard, is that just no one was paying attention. Like mm-hmm. no one was monitoring them. No one was saying you can't do this until letters started to come in because they started syndicating it at like three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Oh my <laughs> people God. are like, why is my kid seeing this? Yeah. So then uh, things they got called out on some more stuff, but for the most part, they were kind of just free to do whatever they wanted. And so I think some of that shows in how much leeway he's given to. Yeah. It's to, like, as long as they had the Robert England bookends, that's all they cared about. Basically then, yeah. whatever happens in the middle is just, we're selling commercials, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So what did he, ha- so he had amazing stories after that? I believe so. In the timeline that would be next. And okay. he directed the, what would be the final episode. Yes. Amazing stories. And it's obviously that's just kind of the circumstances of it all, but he did not kill the show. No, he <laughs> the did show not. Is he, dead, I yeah, think, he did not. He did not kill the show. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, like, imagine if you were I, I again, like because it was in the 80s and not in the 90s, like I didn't watch any <laughs> of these. But no, so I this was the only Amazing Stories episode that I, I watched. But um, this is the only one you've ever seen. Yeah, so oh, far. Wow. Yeah. Um, I was impressed, I think, because it was coming right off of watching. Freddy's nightmares on a bootleg sure. that I was just like, wow, look at this production value. <laughs> um, but the, you know, I mean like, cause it's very, it's very Amblin's very, you know, you could tell that they put a lot of, right. a lot of um, resources into it. Um, yeah. But like, if this was the last episode you watched of this series, which I'm guessing didn't maybe hew this odd, I don't know. I mean, one of the things about the series, which I watched as a kid and have never gone back and revisited it from the beginning, but one of the things is that it was anything on week to week. So there was almost no consistency to what the tone was. And it was, so I, even as a kid, I remember being like, I'm trying to understand what this show is and I can't, um, it's it's broader than a lot of the ones that I remember, but I can't say that it's broader than all of the ones I remember. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, this was, I think, where it really kind of, cl- I, I've, I've had this with some of his other movies, like The Fun House, when I watched that last October, where I feel like I'm kind of more in tune with his sense of humor, and I'm yeah. finding what he finds funny, funny. Um, but this was like, I had such an explorer's second half vibe <laughs> That's to a really this episode, good where just it was, you know, the this beauty pageant of aliens, and each one was more silly, yeah. um, you know, singing opera music and things like that. And you either go with it or you don't. Yeah. And like, as I was watching it, I was just like, this is re-. like, I it, I just found myself just at how weird it was just mm-hmm. laughing with it um, this time around. I thought the, the stuff with Weird Al was, I, I mean, it's all because I like Weird Al. I think if it was any other actor, I probably would not have been as into um, that part of the episode. But um, I really thought that uh, it was, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it was, <laughs> it was like how I felt with Explorers, but just kind of the way, I don't know. It, I felt like it was like the second half of Explorers, but explorers made me ready for this in a weird way because i remember when we watched that for one of the f this movies movie fest i 
described it as like the first half is like going to a baseball game with your dad and everything's great. And then the second half is like he left you at the baseball game and you have to walk (laughs) home in the rain. Um, And now I'm just kind of like, well, I get time to my own. Like, I don't mind this walk in the rain. (laughs) But uh, yeah, what a bizarre... Uh, ending to a series, but I'm noticing when I rewatch, you know, something like Briscoe County Jr. or, you know, the finale to Dinosaurs, it's just like some series. Dinosaurs knew it was ending. Yeah. (laughs) Dinosaurs was able to close that story. Yeah. But in a very unusual way. Um, It's just interesting because, you know, these series where there's so much hope for them and um, interest in them, like in the beginning and then like when they're winding down. Unfortunately, a lot of them don't have a way to close things out right. in a in in a way. But I guess by basis of it being an anthology, there was really you know you could have ended it anyway. And this is a very interesting way to, to close right. It this out. could have yeah. ended up in the middle, yeah, and it wouldn't be a different episode. It just wouldn't have that same footnote as like this is the last one that aired. Yeah, um, but yeah, it is very cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Again, I, rewatching it, I was like, well, I'm glad this exists because I'd mentioned earlier, you know. Uh, Toby Hooper wanted to make comedies and was never really afforded the opportunity. And so Mm -hmm. here's his opportunity to make something. I don't know if it's funny, but it's certainly comedic. Yeah. I don't know what the jokes are really, except Mm -hmm. just this is weird and outlandish. Mm -hmm. And I love Weird Al. I mean, I love Weird Al, but like, I don't necessarily love the one character the one choice he makes as an actor like this is how i'm gonna say my lines Mm -hmm. and this is all i'm doing the makeup is interesting he's kind of a weird lettuce head yeah um his performance becomes grating and i vacillate between like okay i'm a little bit irritated by this and it's kind of a one note thing or like but does this eventually become funny again do you know what i mean like sideshow bob stepping on the rakes where you're like this is so irritating that at a certain point I have to be like, God bless you for committing to this and never straying from this choice. Yeah. I think that's how I felt about the the alien opera singer. By that point, I was just like, <laughs> I'm like, sure. This is great. Right. This is fantastic. Okay, Miss Stardust. If yeah. anything, I feel like Miss Stardust is like a little bogged down in too much plot. Like, I don't think it hmm. needs the stuff with the guy at the bar telling the story. It's like, it could probably... Yeah. Do I, it in kind of a more linear way. It's, I think the, I, I'm okay with the bartender bit being the framing device just because I think the little bit you at the see end. Rick Overton get more work? Well, yeah, <laughs> naturally. What else is he in? He looks very familiar. He's in a ton of stuff. Okay. Anyways, this isn't the Rick Overton tribute. <laughs> That's next Sunday. Yeah, that is next Sunday. So, um, but no, I like the little bit at the end where they show the bartender through those pictures or whatever right. like that this no this is a real thing this is this isn't just some bullshit like <laughs> drunken right. bar story um I, I i like that bit enough where you know it's okay and also it's kind of a break because i think that if you kept with the miss stardust pageant even for 30 for 25 straight minutes it might have been too much yeah i guess i'm not and and again I, as i'm talking about it i'm like well but let's draw parallels between this and like life force which also incorporates this heavy flashback structure you know okay um i don't necessarily want to watch just the pageant for 30 minutes <laughs> or maybe any minutes but yeah. uh but i just think there's a different maybe there's a different approach but now that i'm talking about it i'm like actually this is probably more interesting you know yeah. i i i think i enjoy it most 
I'm at the point now <laughs> with my love of Toby Hooper mm. where he can do no wrong. Yeah. He has a a finite filmography, sadly. You know, that's one of the things that we're talking about today. He passed away before he could make anything else. We know everything that he ever made and is going to make. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I love this band. Uh, I love R.E.M. I love everything R.E.M. puts out. I'm obsessed with R.E.M. And then Up comes out and you're like, huh? What? This is an R.E.M. And like you fall out of love with it. Um, and then maybe 10 years, 15 years later, you decide like, oh, okay, I, I was unfair to that movie or that, that album. I'm back into it now. Like I have time. I have distance. I have perspective on everything. I know everything that he's going to make. So nothing's going to throw me a curveball, right? Because mm-hmm. I know what it is. Um, so I'm in for all of it. And so when I watch Miss Stardust, it is kind of a, as a curiosity of him doing TV, of him doing comedy, of uh, seeing some of his like repertory players, seeing Jim Seedow show up and seeing Lorraine Newman show up. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's in this one, right? Yeah. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I know she's in the other one too, yeah. versions of science. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I enjoy it on that level of just like here's this crazy thing that somebody let toby hooper make for 22 minutes Mm -hmm. and i also really like that uh that it's proof of a relationship between him and steven spielberg yeah that's something that's heartening you know when you hear about how the two of them collaborated later on on television series because um yeah, it's it, it it's nice that he had friends in high places yeah. who was looking out for him too and because it sounded like just because he was such a humble man and everything like that that um that I don't know, it's just it's just always good that knowing that. Right. Yeah. And I almost believe that like you almost have to be someone of Steven Spielberg's clout cuz surely well but Mick Garris was like Mm-hmm. finding all the people to direct those episodes. I was going to say, like, when Spielberg goes to NBC and says, like, Toby Hooper's going to direct one, I would think, like, they would lose their shit. But Mick Garris was so heavily involved that I'm sure he was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, or found Toby himself. Um, and also a nice thing is, I noticed, like, watching these television episodes, too, is he never looked down on television as a format. And it wasn't like that, how television is now, where it's almost, a lot of people see it, as equal and sure, yeah. or surpassing yeah. the quality of movies. Right. Um, you know, it was a little bit more of a, um, you know, triple a affiliate to like movies being <laughs> the big league team. Um, and I will accept your sports analogy. Okay. Thank you. Moving on. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, the, but he always brought a personality mm-hmm. to what he was doing in television. Um, especially in these, anthology episodes that we're discussing and i it's great because even if you don't dig it i mean it's interesting to have a show that's sort of like his career in the sense that it's just constantly trying things and evolving and everything that's one thing that's i'm noticing when i go back to watch his movies is there's they work in different ways in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways and i think that's almost why for me i was having trouble kind of pegging how I felt about a lot of his work. Um, but now you kind of see little earmarks that are sort of similar within mm-hmm. his movies too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, after amazing stories, do we do tales from the crypt? I think that's, yeah, it was season three of tales from the crypt. So that would have been like around 91, 92, okay. somewhere in there. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's funny cause this is the time where 
I'm starting to notice that Toby Hooper was in on a lot of things that I was watching at the time, and right. I was into at the time, and I just wasn't putting it together. Yeah. Um, because Tales from the Crypt was something that I watched all the time. I noticed last weekend when I was watching Sleepwalkers again with Rob, I'm like, oh, there's Toby there Hooper. There is. Um, Coming to America. I watched that one around this time. He's got a cameo in in that movie. Um, he was, um, oh man, I'm totally blanking. I had another example, but anyways, he you get played, my point. He was John McClane in Die Hard, is what you were gonna say. <laughs> oh, I would like to see that. <laughs> uh, so uh, I can't do a good Toby, otherwise I would immediately go into Yippee Kai motherfucker. Yeah. Like, but we need Jared to come back and do his Toby. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this this episode of Tales from the Crypt was not one that I was super familiar with, mm-hmm. but um, I know I had seen it. I'm embarrassed to say that I was super familiar. With oh, it. you were? Okay. Well, I think I think I watched a part of it a lot as a kid. <laughs> not proud of it. Can I talk to you about that part Please for a do. second? Please and do. I'm not going to be that's fine guttural on this one, but. Um, <laughs> So the, there's a sex scene between James Ramar and Vanity. Uh-huh. That's what you're talking about, I'm presuming. It is. Um, so I was watching this. Uh, there, there's a lot of episodes I needed to watch this week. So this episode I watched on the train. Okay. And, I, and when the sex scene came up and I was watching it on my phone, I was almost like, can you guys hurry up? <laughs> like, I don't want like the other people on the Metro to know that I'm watching <laughs> a sex scene. So I'm like tilting the phone and like turning it inward. But I'm like, no, that looks worse. It looks like I'm like really, really just devouring <laughs> this red haired man and this action Jackson <laughs> femme fatale. Yeah. Um, so anyways, it has nothing to do with the rest of the episode, but um, no, it was, it's an episode that I think is, um, okay. And I mean this in a good way. So I'm prefacing it. Okay. Um, Toby Hooper's movies are dirty feeling in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. They're just, um, whether mm-hmm. it's Texas Chainsaw or it's The Mangler or things like that. Um, and I think it lends itself well to Tales from the Crypt, which is a little bit slicker usually. Um, but this one kind of felt more swampy. Yeah. Um, kind of like dirtier. And um, the whole kind of plantation setting lends itself to that like it's just a it's it's a seedy yeah uh environment um so i it it makes the the episode have kind of an ambiance that adds to its ec comics nature um that's one thing that i found interesting and i think he totally makes it work but um it's almost like if uh, this wasn't such a well-worn structure. I wonder what he would have done with it. Like if it was, this was like a feature. I wonder if it sure. would have been like the same trajectory of the story because it doesn't feel to me like a Toby Hooper ending. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I don't see as much of him in it. Yeah, I see more of him in Miss Stardust. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Um, which is a which is a weird thing to say out loud. Swampy is a funny word because uh, Stephanie, who was on earlier and who writes a column about Tales from the Crypt mm-hmm. over at Dread Central, um, called it swampy in comparison to Eaten Alive. She said they both have that same yeah. kind of like yeah. hot, swampy atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about the sex scene because I brought it up in a stupid way. And it's like, it, it's come up before in this 
day, this tribute, that like he didn't do sex a lot. His movies don't have a ton of sexuality mm-hmm. in them. And so for this episode to just stop for a sex scene yeah. uh, is unusual for him. And I really do think it's kind of like what you said about him leaning into the the seediness of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to be gory, well, we're going to go all the way. And if we're going to be sexual, well, we're going to go all the way with that too. That it's like really trying to lean into kind of the dirtier, darker elements of this story. Yeah. It's, it's him sort of riffing on film noir in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, Especially at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it's um, usually Tales from the Crypt doesn't make me kind of flinch in just grossness. There's a few episodes, but like Roger Daltrey's nose falling off. and That's not the thing I can't handle in that episode. It's Steve Buscemi that I can't handle in that oh, episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, his skin and L- stuff. Listen, yeah. listen. All right. We're not talking about also that. Also Kyle McLaughlin's anyway. eyeball. Oh, and carry on death. Yes. Yeah. Um, in this one... I kind of flinched a little bit with Jonathan Reese Davies' worm-infested, gross it stomach and stuff. That is an icky, gross scene that can only be handled on a Samsung 8 on a train. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I was I was pretty grossed out by that. But it's like at the same time, I could almost like you had mentioned sometimes, like you could almost feel like Toby Hooper laughing behind the oh, camera, yeah. and I yeah. was just like, yeah, he's probably like really digging like how nasty this is. Yeah. Um, I I think a lot of the episode's strength, too, comes from... It's a fun cast. Um, sure. It's weird, because I texted you, like, earlier in the week that I feel like there needs to be some kind of sizzle reel of, like, James Remard not trusting... <laughs> or trusting the wrong people and then dying a horrible death. Because <laughs> I feel like... And I know this isn't the case, but I feel like he's done that several times. I, I feel like you can yeah. even just eliminate the trusting the wrong people. Yeah. And, like, somebody... When you're done... <laughs> drawing the little masters uh yeah. concept art somebody please supercut james remar deaths <laughs> like every episode of little masters he's like the kenny of the series <laughs> it's a james remar death <laughs> it's just like and then like it's just like i didn't know james remar was in this episode and then somebody turns into a gargoyle yes. and then bites his neck absolutely yeah. so um i don't know yeah i like james remar at the sleaziest and yeah. he's super sleazy yeah, in this. Sure. Um, and then um, I really like, I'm noticing too now just how much genre stuff like Whoopi Goldberg did kind of as offshoots to her film career. And it's cool. Like I like that, you know, she was coming off a of ghost. She was like at her, at her yeah. peak ghost and sister act, but she still had time to do like next generation and like just follow that her interest her in that. Cool to me yeah. that she stayed on next generation. I don't think her, casting in this does anything for the story or i don't think her performance no. i think it maybe got people to watch toby hooper's episode of masters of horror because like or masters of horror tales from the crypt yeah. it's like hey whoopi goldberg's on i like that they've got so much a-list talent on that show yeah um, it's a thing you can put in like the hbo ad exactly where somebody's just right. like oh well there's a lot of stars in this series right. it's not just you know whatever so because i almost I, I sometimes wonder if it wouldn't be more effective with a different actress in that mm. role. Um, but I think a lot of it is I can never forgive her <laughs> for shoehorning in on the Crypt Keepers segment at the end. 
What does she do again? She's just like sitting there talking. It's very oh, weird. Oh, yeah. It's like a talk it's show, right? Terrible. Yeah. No, she she go, comes back to... I don't like when anyone else is with the Crypt Keeper. I huh? want him by himself. Do you like in, I don't Bort- want- in Bortello of Blood where she's in the hospital bed and she's That's like, very strange. There's like a whole scene and then she's just like, hey, go see Eddie. And also, can you keep it down? <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Anyways. Yeah. But I, it's a fun episode. It's not one of my favorites, but it's a good one. It is. I yeah. feel like again, if if it wasn't Toby Hooper, I don't know that I would be thinking about it yeah. or or going back to it. I mean, it, it's like okay, I would arrive at this when I rewatch the show, but it's not something that would stand out in my mind the way that it does because I know that he was involved, and so I'm trying to sort of parse through like okay, so what is what of him can I see in there? And I definitely think. The, the the most re- not the most recent time I rewatched it the time before that which mm-hmm. was maybe a year or two ago, um, it was in that scene where they're digging through the yeah. guts where I was like oh here it is this right. is this is his scene this is his moment which isn't to say that like he reveled in gore mm-hmm. but like you said it was just it's about the excess of the moment right. and that was something that he did very well yeah it's like you you know you don't want to see it. And then he holds the shot for right. just <laughs> exactly. 20% longer right. than you really want it to happen. It's like right. where you look away and then you look up and you're like, surely it's over. and It's still right. going on. So, right. Yeah. Um, and again, it, there's a kind of a nasty edge to that episode that there wasn't always to every episode. Certainly there yeah. were episodes that were. But to go back to the Freddy's Nightmares thing where like a lot of Tales from the Crypt was like fun and bouncy and like, hey, this person got what was coming to them. And mm-hmm. then the Crypt Keeper makes jokes. And this movie is that, or this this episode is certainly that same kind of like morality play, but it is uh, a little darker and nastier than not all the episodes, but right. then a number of episodes. Yeah, it feels a little just grungier than yeah. some of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, what follows? Um, do you want to talk about body bags next? Sure. So, when does he do I'm da- I know we're not talking about I'm dangerous tonight. That was 1990. Okay, I so think, that it would be before or I might be thinking of spontaneous combustion. Spontaneous combustion is 90. I think I'm dangerous tonight was 90 also. Okay, which was also a TV movie and we're not going to okay. talk about it. Um it was it's I think the Toby Hooper movie I've seen the absolute least mm-hmm. except maybe the apartment complex uh only because it's a little harder to come by I ended up having to like import a DVD from the UK I think okay um and so it's a, it's a movie that I would definitely have to watch a couple more times and live with longer to really once again see him in it there yeah. there are aspects of him that I see in it but I definitely want to watch it again but I do want to give it a shout out I don't want to just skip over it completely Mm -hmm. um so then we come to body bags body bags was a movie i watched a lot when it was on do you know i never saw it until the screen factory blu-ray because i never had showtime or anything so it wasn't until that blu-ray came out that i finally saw it okay yeah um i i i was full in on horror in 93 and that's when and i mean super into tales from the crypt and body bags was showtime's Right. attempt to make their own Tales from the Crypt and then they stopped making <laughs> the episodes after the uh, initial trilogy of episodes that they lumped together into Body Bags, which is a feature, um, because they didn't want to spend the money on it that they spent on the pilots, so to speak. Um, so, I, I'll, I, I'll just quickly mention, I, I really like the John Carpenter segments. I think um, 
the first one at the gas station is it's just I don't know it's hard to describe it's just like my kind of horror like I just really like the isolation mm-hmm. in the dark and things like that I just love that um, hair is so funny especially to like a bald person like me like hair is hilarious and Stacy Keach just sells that yeah. shit so yeah. well um, I was always the one that I was the least warm to growing up just because it wasn't fun like right. the other two right. the other two are fun right um even if you know scary um but i is just a it's a real it's a, i wouldn't say tough but it's a real it's a real ball buster of a segment <laughs> because it is this guy who's a baseball player gets into a car accident and then loses his eye and then it gets replaced with a serial killer's eye who is just executed um you had mentioned a couple times throughout the day about the bad place kind yeah. of coming back. The bad place is your eyeball in this <laughs> one. And this guy doesn't deserve this. He's before we don't get to know him too well, but what we see of him, he's got a good relationship with a lovely woman who's yeah. his wife. And he's a, you know, this, this bull Durham type baseball player who is just like finally getting his shot and everything. He seems like a very nice person. And, Mark Hamill's performance is great yeah. in this. He just like really makes this guy's de-evolution heartbreaking. Um and it's a it's a tough sad segment. Um but a really good one. And it also does that thing that a lot of Toby Hooper's other work does where it ends and it just you know that his wife is going to be fucked up for right. the rest of her life. Right. And you just kind of are left with that. Like immediately, like after he stabs himself in the eye and kills himself to eradicate this evil, you go right back to John Carpenter as the coroner to finish up with the wraparound. And Toby Hooper's in the wraparound too with Tom Arnold. Yeah, he's a coroner. Um, But it's, uh, yeah, it's a real son of a bitch of a segment. It's a good one. It's a good one, though. It is, but it again, it speaks to sort of what we've noticed with some of these other anthology mm-hmm. contributions, like No More Mr. Nice Guy, or to a lesser extent, the Tales from the Crypt episode, where it's like, it's a lot darker than the things that surround it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think its its placement in the movie hurts it a little bit, although... Mm-hmm. I, there's no way I can reorder that movie. No, it has to be ordered like that that way for Nothing sure. Nothing else can come after it, I don't yeah. think. Uh, you can't end on hair and like no, the hair. gas station has to be first. Yeah, the gas station is the it's like the first tread, it's the single of, right. of the album. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, and so you can't, it has to come last, but I almost feel like its reputation would be improved if another segment had come after that was like a little more fun. Yeah. I could see that where it's almost like the crate in a way. Right. Yeah. Like, just, it's, like, the like it's okay piece. for yeah. us to go real dark here. Yeah. But then you got to bring us back out because as it stands, it's like, okay, now I'm going out on a bummer and mm-hmm. I'm feeling like, well, Toby Hooper's stands out from the other ones and therefore it's not the same and I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like, I is like the last track on an album that's like eight minutes long. And then at the end you drive into a telephone pole <laughs> and then like you lose an eye and then you get it replaced with the devil right, eye. And then right. like you live out. I. <laughs> I like the thing about I that I like is that for me, it was sort of an opportunity and we really haven't seen it probably since Poltergeist mm-hmm. for Toby Hooper to work 
with actors in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. That it's not as much about the mood of it or about how crazy it can get and it's not about a lot of like wild visuals it's really just focused on what is this story and what is happening to these two people um and it's as much you know a movie about this guy becoming sort of possessed by the eye of a serial killer and Mm -hmm. going crazy as it is about the their marriage dissolving yeah and it's very sad in that way also because he can't help it She's helpless and confused about what is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Twiggy, right? His wife? Yeah. I don't know, is it? I thought it was Twiggy. I just figured out that hair that the woman that Stacey keeps is Sheena, Sheena Easton. Easton. Yeah. And then I looked up Sheena Easton top songs and I'm like, I like a lot of these. <laughs> Sugar walls, baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, I believe it was Twiggy. I'm going to look it up while okay. we're talking. But um, I think she's really good and really sympathetic. Yeah. And. Uh, so I like that it's an opportunity for him to focus on that kind of a story that's really small and more about performance mm-hmm. um, than a lot of his other stuff. Also, was this before Mark Hamill started to do like the Joker and like kind of play off of his image as Luke Skywalker? Was this the first time? That he I mean, really it might that? have been around the same time. I don't know okay. when the animated series okay. started. Because what year is this? Ninety. 90- 93. Yeah. It's probably around the same time. It was, in fact, Twiggy, by the way, everyone. Nice. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Good stuff. And he never finished building that, what is it called? The baby. Oh, right. The crib. He never finished the crib. Well, right. So now it's like her life is fucked in so many ways. And she's just like, my husband's dead. I don't know how to finish this crib. (laughs) I like... uh, I really enjoy body bags. Again, I, I came I to it so it. much later. I love the fact that it's like Carpenter mm-hmm. and Toby Hooper collaborating. I love uh, John Carpenter's not the best actor, but like I get such joy out yeah. of watching him as the host. It, it, of it this doesn't thing. matter. It doesn't matter. No, it's that's like, like part of the charm. Just, yeah, he's just having a blast. So. And I love uh, when Toby Hooper shows up at the end. So it's good stuff. Yeah, it's a fun segment. Good movie or good movie. Good segment, fun movie. <laughs> uh, looks like Batman the Animated Series started around ninety two, so okay. the things are kind of happening yeah, currently. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then he had Masters of Horror. He had two episodes. Of Masters no, we of skipped Horror. Uh, Perversions of Science. Oh uh, yeah, and I feel stupid for doing that because I really like this episode <laughs> of Perversions of Science, and I'm glad that you circled back to it. Um, I've never again, only episode of this show that I'd seen. And I texted you while I was watching it, and I'm like, how did I not know that there was a science fiction Tales from the Crypt that lasted, obviously it lasted like 10 episodes, yeah. so it wasn't... And HBO kind of know. buried it. It was like a Friday night thing, was I think. I, I mean, like, I don't know how the other nine episodes are, but I really, really like this I one. I don't know if I've seen any of the other ones. Okay. I had only seen this one back in the 90s because... I really liked Jason Lee. And I was like, oh, Lee's on this episode of this mm-hmm. TV show. I don't even think really putting together at the time that that was the Toby Hooper episode. Yeah. Um, I think a big reason why it didn't succeed was because the host is so lame. Oh, yeah. It's like this cartoon. It's like this Adult Swim-ish. Yeah. Uh, it's like or a it's voice. Like, yeah, it's like this Toonami, like, sex robot with boobs. <laughs> And who gives a shit? Like it's like AXL with boobs. As a kid, half the reason that we watched Tales from the Crypt was the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, I mean, it was like 
Yeah, it's like they literally had no more money. And then they were just like, I don't know, what can Gary do on the computer this afternoon? And then he's just like, they're like, Gary from finance? And they're like, no, Gary the intern. And then Gary the intern's just like, I learn magic book pro. And they're like, I drew a boob robot. Sure, fine. That's the fucking host of our show. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, um. yeah, he's just like, I wrote a spec script. It's called Titan AE. <laughs> Gary wrote Titan AE? Yeah. yeah. That's amazing, Brad's Gary. mom hates it. Good for you, Gare. Yeah. Um, we call him Gare Bear around the so office. So this, this is a I, – I just rewatched it this week, obviously. Yeah. And, like, I think this, along with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is something that I would show – to somebody if I wanted to be like, here, you want to understand like what's crazy or special about Toby Hooper is mm-hmm. I would show them Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and then I would maybe show them this Perversions of Science episode. Like yeah. I think it's so – I think it's so much of him yeah, um, in how crazy it is, in how funny it is, yeah. in how it twists – three or four different times and inverts what you think is happening. So good. I mean, like the idea is great. What if people freaked out from listening to war of the world and started killing all their friends? Right. And then you realize that the people killing all their friends are undercover Martians (laughs) who believe their cover is blown, who believe their cover is blown. Then it's just them dealing... It's like the Norman Bates section, the second half of Psycho, where they're just dealing with the aftermath of it and trying to figure out what's going on. And then there's another rug that's pulled out from under you, that there's people from Venus who... Even before that, though, we get the situation where they are mistaken for aliens because they're aliens, Mm -hmm. and then they're being told... No, wait, I have this wrong. When the couple meets them, yeah, they're aliens. Yeah, uh, they're not in their human form. Oh yeah, you're right. Or no, they are in their human form. They're in their human form. Yeah, but they're wearing gloves or something. Like basically, they, I think their hands are showing. Or so something I think like that's that, so yeah. that's what it is. It's just like where the couple thinks that they're aliens and they are aliens, but they're trying to pretend they're humans. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it inverts it once more before the, <laughs> the Venusian reveal. And then the Supreme leader of the Venusians is Orson Welles. Right. Played by Chris Sarandon. <laughs> right. And Lorraine Newman shows up. Again. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, that's another episode that's got every two seconds. There's just somebody that, you know, there's Lorraine Newman. There's, um, McClurg shows up. Yeah. Edie McClurg. There's Jamie Kennedy's the other, it was alien. the nineties. <laughs> yeah. With, with Harvey Jason Corman. Lee. Harvey Corman. Yeah. Um, one of the guests at the party is like the babysitter from new nightmare. Who could forget? I did her. I like Julie. Her. Was that her name? I think so. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's, it's so goddamn fun. Yeah. And you could tell that he's just, has carte blanche to do whatever he wants, yeah. and he really thought of something fun to do. <laughs> Was this R.C. Matheson again? I can't remember who wrote it. Um, I don't know. It sounds right. I remember the first time I saw it. So I saw it in the you know the 90s when it aired again because I was like, Jason Lee. Um, mm-hmm. And then years went by yeah. before I saw it again. So I remember none of it. 
So when we get to the beat <laughs> where they just start murdering everyone, mm-hmm. I mean, Adam and I have spoiled it for all of you, so we're sorry. Mm-hmm. But I just remember being like, what? Where is this going? Yeah. Like, it just takes you by surprise mm-hmm. the way that it turns. And again, there's this sort of glee in the in the bloodshed in that scene. And part of that is it's the character's glee, but part of it you know is just Toby Hooper. Like, again, sort of, it goes all the way back to that story about taking the chainsaw through the line at Sears. Mm-hmm. It's that same sort of like, I'm going to clear this room. And that's exactly what they're doing. It's like almost him living that out on screen because that's what that scene would look like. People running, screaming while they're just having a blast murdering people, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a cool episode. I am almost equally looking forward to finishing all the other episodes and sad that Toby Hooper didn't direct any more of them. <laughs> like, it, like, it can't live up to this one right but um yeah i can't wait to see nine more of the robot <laughs> oh she's she- electric mm-hmm. oh you know who wrote it not rc matheson yeah. andrew kevin walker oh of seven of and seven hollow and most importantly new to blu-ray eight millimeter nope uh i can Trickster, uh, brain scan. brain scan is a is an Andrew Kevin Walker joint. Have you watched the special features on there? Why, yes, I have. Is it is it good? Yeah, he's interviewed. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> As is the trickster. Yeah, brain scan is like the type of movie where I don't like it, but if somebody said you can have this Blu-ray right now, you don't even have to order and wait two days, but I want fifty dollars, I'd be like, all right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> like the promise of brain scan. The promise of what brain scan could be in my, that's living in my brain sells that movie. I have a complicated relationship <laughs> with brain scan. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. If I was in a pitch meeting where somebody was just like, the villain is the trickster, I'd be like, 40 million? <laughs> They'd be like, well, we only need 10. I'm We've like, got Eddie Furlong million. as our lead. 40 million. Hot off of Pet Cemetery 2. Ooh. That's a grizzly. That's grizzly <sighs> fair. <laughs> Uh, and then we get to Masters of War. Okay, okay. So was the first episode that he did was the season one Dance of the, Dance Dead, of the is Dead the first one. Okay, of the two, that's the one I prefer. Interesting. Do you are, do you prefer the other one of the two? I maybe do. Okay, I maybe do, and I feel like the little bit that I've paid attention to when people talk about it. Well, no, I've heard both. I've heard both. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, Dan- it's. I think it's just personal preference. I think Dance of the Dead. Um. It's the one where I feel like I have no idea how somebody could have made it the way that it was made. Okay. But it's like you can tell that it's such a artist making mm-hmm. the episode mm-hmm. um, where just sometimes I and, I and I'm not saying that like I'm sitting back in awe of the episode exactly. But like you sometimes watch something where you just sit back and you're just like. I have, you know, like whatever ideas I ever have had in my head of a movie or a scene of a movie or a television show, like it can't compare to like this guy's imagination and like kind of vision of how to produce a scene and execute a scene. Like I remember there's like that scene where they're doing that long drive to the club. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is reminding me so much of like something like this is like some natural born killers yeah. sequence. Yeah, it's sure. pretty, it's pretty wild. And um, I think also in that one, I really liked 
and uh, Jonathan Tucker and Jessica Lowndes, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that is correct. It's the most I've ever liked. I haven't seen Jessica Lowndes in too much stuff other than Abattoir. Um, yes, that's right. And Jonathan Tucker is uh, not one of my favorites, but um, I think he's really good in this. He reminds me of, he's playing kind of like a Michael Madsen-y type. <laughs> um, and Politics. Politics. Um, but I really like them together. I like... I, I think that it's an interesting kind of, you know, forbidden fruit type of thing, but um, she's chasing this bad boy and everything like that. But there's so many other layers to it. Yeah. But I think their core relationship is is kind of what I respond to the most. Um, Robert England is just like, I, I find Robert England doing any kind of weird shit amusing at this sure. point. Um, but uh, yeah, and then also... It just surprises me where he goes with it. Like, there's a lot of times where I'm just like, oh, this is what the episode is. Or, like, they get, they or, or this is what's going to happen at the end. Yeah. And then it doesn't happen that way. And then what it leaves you with is so much more that you have to kind of chew on. Yeah. <laughs> then it, it, it's another example where it just, it doesn't leave you right away because... It, it's like this weird, like, extra implication. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I dug it. I do, too. I, honestly, I, I like it a lot. Um, the first time I saw it, I was not crazy about it. Yeah. And I've warmed to it. And mm-hmm. the thing that still holds me back a little bit, and the reason I really wasn't crazy about it the first time I saw it, is that stylistic thing that he does that's very much of sort of the early 2000s. That's in a lot of episodes of Masters of Horror. Uh, yeah. They have a lot of, they have like this Anchor Bayish quality to them. Do you know what I mean? I like, think so. Like it, it they kind of have like this more industrial sort of saw-ish kind of yeah, that's, vibe to them. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it leans real heavily on that. And I just, it's a stylistic thing that I just am not crazy about. Right. Um, and so that holds me at arm's length a little bit, but in terms of the story, um, I think it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I like the use of the flashback in this one Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, we could do a whole episode just on Toby Hooper flashbacks. I think Mm -hmm. after the uh, talking about them this day, I'm like stammering so much. You guys have been talking for a long time. Um, I like too that, you know, he's made some movies that feel apocalyptic not in like the john carpenter sense certainly life force but there are some other even the end of texas chainsaw feels apocalyptic just because it's like there's no relief there's no release at all Mm -hmm. um so i like that this one essentially opens after the apocalypse you know what i mean like the world has already gone to shit it's not going to shit the world went to shit Mm -hmm. and here's where we are and that's where we're going to use that as our jumping off point for this story and sort of again goes back to this idea that i keep bringing back uh, the bad place, right? That the mm-hmm. club itself is yeah. um, the bad place and that there's a, a human face for the real monster. Mm-hmm. And yet in Dance of the Dead, who are we talking about? Are we talking about Robert Englund as the human face for mm-hmm. the electrified dead? Or are we talking about Jessica Lowndes and another character who I don't want to say because it would spoil something? But yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, and one thing that I think is interesting about this episode is it's almost positing in this situation, kind of aligning yourself with the bad place is the smart and only play. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's weirdly, 
I won't say comforting, but it's weirdly more reassuring to me as a viewer because Jessica Lowndes is her character is supposed to be such kind of like a innocence right. type that you're just like, okay, well, she's going to be fine in this structure. Whereas if she resisted it, it would be more harrowing for her. Right. Well, and it's almost this weird take on like a 1950s hot rod movie. Yeah. Yeah. Good she's call. like yeah. the, the virginal young innocent girl and the bad boy rolls into town and it's Jonathan Tucker. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I thought of sometimes too, during that driving scene is it feels like yeah. when, uh, when Showtime did that rebel highway series okay. where they started remaking some of those old Corman movies, mm-hmm. like it's got a little bit of that vibe for me. So it's him kind of riffing on these fifties yeah. teen movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, good episode. How do you feel about, well, whatever. No, okay. go ahead. It's a dumb question. Go ahead. I was just going to ask, how do you feel about half hour versus an hour for like a horror anthology. Cause I always feel more in tune with a half hour than, I mean, I do hour. love a half hour, but yeah. I don't feel like I can't think of too many masters of horror. I mean, there are certainly a, a few episodes of masters of horror that mm. I don't love, but there aren't any that I feel like are too long. Okay. Do you, did you finish your series of uh, no. all the Masters of Horror episodes? I took a break because okay. we were doing um, Class of 88 and then okay. this kind of came up and I just never got back to it, but I am going to. Have you done Imprint yet? No. And it's the one episode I've never seen. That, that's I'm one of... I'm dreading it. Yeah. That is the one where I remember they played it at like seven in the morning during a massacre. Not cool. And I was just waking up. <laughs> not cool. Yeah. The best part of waking up is not imprint in your cup. <laughs> it was like I was going in and out of sleep and seeing like uh, this. And I'm just like... Again. <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm just like, can I have a large popcorn, please? And they're like, at 7 in the morning, I'm like, I'm going to stick my fucking head in there. (laughs) I am not often scared to watch things. Yeah. I'm scared to watch that. Yeah. It's for good reason. God damn it. You're supposed to make me feel better. You're supposed to be like, no, no, no. It's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. What? No, it's fine. No. Uh, And instead, you're telling me to be even more afraid. It's the type of thing where, like, if you and I were watching it together. Yeah. You would look at me, and if I were if I had morphed into Pinhead during this thing, <laughs> you would be like less scared of me than what's going on on screen. Um, does that help? I believe it does. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so that's another thing. I think. Um, okay, like if I'm watching Tales from the Crypt, I can kind of settle in because I'm just like I can handle this. Yeah. But like Masters of Horror had a lot of episodes where I'm just like this makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 And kudos to them because I think that's clearly what they were going for. They were trying to push the envelope, especially for cable television. And it's uh, yeah. I mean, like it horror isn't always fun. Horror right. sometimes is horrific, and it's yeah, it's really really strong stuff. And Masters of Horror is almost the flip side of the coin to Tales from the Crypt, which was often so fun. Yeah. Masters of Horror was very rarely fun. Yeah, I can't think of too many episodes that are I mean, Landis did Dear, Wim- Dear Woman. That yeah. was kind of goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, his second season episode, Family, is mm-hmm. way better. Yeah. And you might call fun, depending on your definition of fun. Um, but yeah, there aren't, I mean, homecoming is like, mm-hmm. it's kind of a serious one too. Homecoming. Yeah. 
Homecoming, no. Is, the, the Joe Dante one. Yeah. Right? I mean, the the thing is, it's like the treatment of it is fun. Okay. But what it's saying has very serious implications. Yeah, so it's about a very yeah. serious subject, but yeah. it's like trying to treat it kind of like broad satire. Yeah. Um, and then season two, uh, Toby Hooper did The Damn Thing, which yes. I think was the premiere episode of season two. I couldn't say for sure because okay. I haven't. Yeah. Um, it opens with <laughs> a scene of... Amazing gore. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, he really throws the baton down yes. for season two. Yes. With this just massive disembowelment yes. sequence. It's pretty gnarly. Um, it's, it would make Robert Kurtzman proud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and again, I did not rewatch it this week. Okay. Does it time jump forward or is that a flashback? It time jumps forward. Okay, that was what I thought. But yeah. I, since we were talking about flashbacks, I wanted to double check. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> at first, I was like really digging this family because I'm. They're talking about ribs, and the ribs <laughs> look so good, and ribs <laughs> sounded so good. It was like it was like Chili's play all over again. <laughs> Um, and then they're just like, and we got you a birthday cake. And I'm like, don't let anything happen to this family. I just want them to have their meal and their party. Um, but then, yeah, it flashes or it goes forward. Time jumps forward to, um, Sean Patrick Flannery is the grown up version of the son who survived this horrible ordeal where his mother was, was murdered by his father and the father is possessed, was possessed by the damn thing. It's kind of like a physical being sort of like the shine. If the shining was like this one kind of being. And I think the rest of the episode is okay. I'm not, I'm not a real big fan of it. Um, I just, I I like the bookends of the episode, I think. Mm-hmm. I like the whole thing with the first, you know, 10 minutes of the episode setting up um, kind of what, what this is all about. And then I think that it really goes for broke in the ending to, yes, to a missed degree. Yes. Almost. Oh, very um, much so. Very much so. But uh, kind of the the part around it just i don't know i mean like the ted Raimi's weirdness doesn't really click for me and the stuff with uh i think it's brendan fletcher who's his um partner he was in freddy versus jason it's fine i mean like it's good it's just i think i like dance of the dead a little bit more sure so yeah again i, I like some of the kind of domestic drama of mm-hmm. the damn thing i like the town kind of breaking down and starting to go crazy and uh, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, approaching this idea of mob mentality. And I just think the highs of it are so high. I, I don't know which one I like better, but the highs are so high. Um, I don't think Dance of the Dead has a single moment as good as maybe three different moments in yeah. The Damned Thing, uh, which I and I totally get being like, yeah, but the rest of it is weaker than the entirety of dance of the dead yeah i think i totally agree with you i think um the dance of the dead thing i think from i i really respond to to mood with horror sure and just that in in dread like especially like kind of a dread mood yeah. like i'm kind of an easy mark for that hmm. and that's where i get the I, the most out of dance of the dead yeah it's just like it feels like this experience where like you said with the damn thing it's it really pops in moments. Right. And then kind of slows down to allow for those moments to pop. Right. Yeah. 
And there are a handful of episodes of Masters of Horror that um, I couldn't necessarily attribute to their filmmaker, mm -hmm. even though I'm very familiar with that person's filmography. I won't say who, but there are a handful. Even when I really like the episode, yeah. there can be some where I'm like, yeah, but I can't tell that that's so-and-so. Mm -hmm. um, but both of these I can really tell are Toby Hooper. I feel like if I watched these again without you telling me who directed these, as long as you said like, okay, it, it's a master of horror. Don't tell me like anyone on earth directed this. Tell me who, because yeah. I'll be like Brad's mom. Mm -hmm. um, but as long as I know that like, okay, a master of horror directed this, I would probably be able to tell you Toby Hooper. And again, it, it's in the way that both episodes just fucking go for it. Yeah. You know, um, the first more so in its, in how bleak it is. And then the second in those moments that we're talking about where he just like, Oh, okay. This mm -hmm. is not fucking around right. at all. Yeah. I, it's, it's cool. Like I think in a way for me, just, I think based off of the timing of his filmography and his work and where I really kind of just dug in on horror yeah. that I came to Toby Hooper's career during his television um, prominence. And uh, I, I, it's, it's nice that he was aligned with properties that I was very familiar with sure. and kind of involved like uh, in watching, because I think it builds up kind of an internal knowledge of like the, his film language um, mm -hmm. that helps me later on, because there's a lot of times where, um, when I went back to his movies, I think, or, you know, like in the nineties or early two thousands, I just wasn't getting it. And then I think part of it is going back to these television episodes has helped me to sort of understand, you know, his tone mm -hmm. and kind of what he does. And it's, um, I'm just like, okay, well, sometimes he like really goes for broke and sometimes he's like very just kind of, um, slyly funny and right. things like that. Um, and then just as we're wrapping up, I think your appreciation of him has definitely like, it's interesting because I'm, I'm in a way a little bit relieved that I'm not just seeing his work through your eyes anymore. Because okay. for a while I was, sure. whereas I didn't have like a personal emotional connection to his work myself, but then it struck such a chord with you that... I would. I was only seeing it through your eyes, sure. and then now I feel like I'm kind of getting it all over again through my own point of view, which mm -hmm. is very satisfying. Not saying that like I, you know, it's like I. I needed to get you out of my <laughs> brain. I needed to <laughs> take it out. Knife, I needed right? to take it out. <laughs> um, but no, it's fun because I feel like, and this is all you know to your credit in that you 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 know gave a platform to this man's career um that i'm i'm struggling for words it's just really sweet and i it's something that i've really liked that you've done and i hope you continue with it um i feel personally very excited that i'm going to be able to go through his work again yeah and see a lot of things for the first time and now I feel like I'm ready to see them. Yeah. Um, whereas before, maybe I wasn't. Um, I've always found it to be just whatever filmmaker it is, the best way to tackle like seeing all the classics or whatever that you haven't seen is to just start with a director yeah. and then just kind of going through their work. And this is something that I'm very excited to be 
checking out, you know, the mangler when I get home. I and love the that toolbox. You're starting with the mangler. <laughs> I don't know what I, it's got the stuff that I it's got it's got I, psychics. It's got you, Ted listen, Levine. It's I got think, Robert England in it. It I feels think it's very gonna Adam. be your bag. It feels it very Adam. It so. is, yeah. Yeah, but um you know, I haven't seen Eaten Alive. I haven't seen um That's less Adam. Okay. okay. <laughs> Just so you know. Okay. Yeah, there's there's um I haven't seen Salem's lot yet. So I'm looking forward to getting into them and yeah. i just really you know thank you in this in this example of um just kind of yeah just just really making it for all of us to sort of appreciate him a little bit more well thank you yeah. for saying that that's yeah. uh my goal <laughs> in in life really and i know that it's annoying to people who maybe don't care as much um just like all right shut up about it already mm. um but that's that's really what I – it's because I love to talk about it. Um, you know, I've gone through his entire filmography I think twice in the last year, once right mm-hmm. after he passed away and then once in the run-up to this. Mm-hmm. And every time I sit down for one of his movies, I like it more than the last time I watched it, um, even yeah. the ones that I've always loved. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always finding something new, some new moment, sometimes watching them all close together you know, brings out new thing. Oh, okay. I recognize this from this. And, um, we forgot to talk about it. There's like a nightmare sequence in life force that midweek, Kevin Marr messaged me and was like, look at this, this, this nightmare sequence from life force is right out of the fun house. And it's like, you only see that when you're watching all these things yeah. in close succession. Um, so yeah, I, I had no idea what today was going to be or how it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea if anyone would be interested in listening to a lot of hours just to talk about one director. Because there's there's no other director I could do it for. There's no other director I would want to do it for. I think everybody has their director that they would want to do it for or could, you know. Yeah. Um, and Toby Hooper's mine. And I recognize now that some of my identity certainly online or in terms of talking about movies is wrapped up in like oh yeah that guy that loves toby hooper and mm-hmm. like i kind of wear that as a badge of honor like i'm not you know i'm not embarrassed by that or i don't feel like uh it's limiting to me i'm really proud of that and uh you know the the, the it would be a year ago tomorrow because he'd passed away a year ago today so it'd be a year ago tomorrow that i found out and literally like couldn't get out of bed and that's uh, mm-hmm. i know embarrassing and i know you know i've been i've caught shit in the past for taking this stuff too seriously or whatever but i just i was so brokenhearted that um that he didn't have a day like this when he was alive mm-hmm. can i make a comparison that i think is it to baseball no okay <laughs> no um, so I'm not going to get into too much detail, but I, I lost a friend of mine in high school and, um, she was in one of my classes and, um, it, it, in the days after it had happened, um, we sort of just went about our business, like getting back to the lessons of the, you know, of the, of the class and, you could feel in the room this palpable need to talk about what happened yeah. and like to honor her. And, um, finally, like I just broke and I just said, look, nobody can focus on anything else. Can we just like sit and talk about stories about her, like positive things? And 
this is similar to what you're doing today. It's just like, and now when I think back on my friend, it's like, I can think of that. Mm -hmm. And I can think of that moment of just everybody get banding together to honor her memory. And it's not as sad. It's, it feels like, you know, you can point to things where it's a a life well lived. And, um, that's something that I, I really commend you for doing with Toby Hooper. And that's what this day really reminds me of. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's so great. And I just thank you for putting it together. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And thanks. Uh, Oh my gosh. Thank you to everyone who tuned in, who talked about it, who was excited, even if you weren't able to listen in, who spent this week celebrating Toby Hooper with us or being excited about Toby Hooper or being willing to check out one of his movies and um, to everyone, you know, to all of the other podcasts who submitted their dedications and tributes and to all of our guests, uh, JB, Elra Kane, Brian Sauer, Jared Rivett, Carolyn Williams, McGarris. Oh my God, it's so late. Stephanie was next. Jill was after that. Uh, Kevin Marr, Patrick Hamilton, Stephen Brooks, Jason Guy, Heather, you. My God, I hope I didn't forget anyone because I would feel terrible if I did. But if I did, it's just because I've been doing this a long time. But the fact that everybody was just so quick to say, yeah, I'll participate. Yeah, uh, you know, I, people were contacting me saying, how can I be a part of this? Yeah. Um, it's for Toby. And, uh, I don't know. That's beautiful. I don't know that everybody has that after they're gone, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So. so what's, so what's next for you with Toby Hooper? Is there like a movie from today where you're just like, man, I really want to watch this one again next or write this piece or anything like that. I think it's the mangler. Honestly, yeah. it was, but yeah. even before you were talking okay. about, it, I think it was, uh, talking to Stephen Brooks about yeah. it and, and talking about those first 15 minutes again. I was like, Oh man, that is mm-hmm. just delirious. Yeah. Um, I regret seeing Man of the House that weekend and not the Mangler. <laughs> but there's no, uh, you know, it's not like, okay, this day is over and now I need a break. Yeah. I literally want to watch his stuff tonight, you know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been a real joy living in this world for the last couple of weeks and just having my mind focused mm-hmm. on this. And uh, I'm sad to to not be able to do that, to have to go back to normal life and write about other stuff and uh, – watch other movies because <laughs> I just want to live in this world. Yeah. Uh, but thank all of you for living in this world uh, with me and with the rest of us today. And thank you, Adam. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Love you, Toby. We miss you. Uh, today was for you. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope Dr. Pepper is cold.
Thanks for listening to FS Movie.